You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, and the 60 minutes after that, and indeed the 60 minutes after that, we're going to be not talking about Doctor Who, so that you can instead, if you so prefer. Casters assemble! Hi, I'm JR, the talky one. Hi, I'm Lee, the invisible one. Hi, I'm Mark, the tired one. I'm Simon. (laughs) Uh, Simon's just suggested that the four of us take a trip to Seattle next autumn and that in order to afford it, we start a Kickstarter (laughs) campaign. (laughs) So if anybody listening to this podcast would like to contribute to the Kickstarter campaign for... uh, our trip to Seattle. You can find it at <laughs> www.simonisacock.com. <laughs> I look forward to that. Speaking of ridiculous and impossible things, Andy Taylor says, Only recently got into podcasts, and after hearing yours, I've decided to listen from the beginning. I thought he said, Leave. Oh, my good God. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. He's starting the long journey. He says, It will be a long process, but. He is expecting it to be very enjoyable. Skip the first three and David Tennant, you'll be all right. He says, For me, it's the best podcast I've heard and leaves me laughing out loud, often to the amusement of work colleagues. <laughs> he did say he's only just got into podcasts, so he's probably only listened to Well, the thing is, if he's only just got into podcasts, he might be downloading something else by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys, he says. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. <clears throat> Meanwhile, we've got an email from Sharak Jizz that was uh, left over from the last podcast that we'll get to if we get time. (laughs) (laughs) We will. We'll do Sharak Jizz. Insert bin sound effect. I've got one from Chris Forjak as well, which we'll get to at the end. But this week, we are doing something slightly different. Mm. I've just taken a swig of my tea. Mm. The three of you there. If you see me taking a swig of tea, any one of the three of you, just say something to tide the thing over. Just say no. All right, I've got four cards in front of me. On each of these cards, each and every single one of the podcasters who have assembled for this podcast has written down the name of three fantasy films, because we've done science fiction three times, and we've done horror. (laughs) So now we've decided to blur the boundaries and... Live up to the original Starburst tagline, the magazine for sci-fi, fantasy and horror. So we're doing fantasy. I'm going to turn these cards over absolutely live, and these three guys are going to squint and peer and attempt to see what's written on them. (laughs) And then I'm going to decide in what order we talk about the films we have written down. There may be as many as 12, there may be as few as three. JR's now drinking his tea. He is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm I've gonna turn this. over All right, I'm gonna turn over for your delectation. Remember Mark, we've done this before but you haven't. Nobody must say what's on the cards. 
But you can react to mm-hmm. what you see without actually naming what you see on it. Oh, like you, you did like. on um, Who Wars when you were reacting to the um, the trailer for the next series of Doctor Who. Oh, has that gone out? Mm. Oh. Lots of ooh, ah, oh, ah, ooh. Is I've it? got to tell you, I was actually watching the trailer for something else. <laughs> I was going to say, is he one of, <laughs> got one of JR's? Um, A specialist release. Yeah. Well, it, what's at the end? We usually, get, we usually get a JR um, at the end, don't we? Mm. I could, the trailer I was watching did have a doctor in it, but his oh. companion was a nurse. Oh. Right, that's my card. Oh. I don't think it's the... I think it's just... Oh, so we're getting a camp oh, from... Which spot. one is not a the? Number one. Oh, I'm really glad you picked one of those. Brilliant. Oh, you're probably right, actually. Right, now I'm turning over Simon's card. Oh, not really any surprises, but yeah. Okay, now we're turning over Lee's card. Oh, no. Yeah, that's the one I thought. So, okay, we're going to have a maximum of 11. Let's see what Mark's got. It might go down. You did realise what the criteria for tonight's episode was, didn't you? Uh, it was comedy films from the 1950s, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. all right. Oh. <clears throat> okay, now I have to try and work out in my tiny head which one of these films came first. <clears throat> yeah, because two of them are very close, aren't they? 1981. Oh, we're going to do this differently. I'll tell you what, we're going to go through Mark's choices first. Oh, really? All three of them. Because let's face it, the way we do this, you talk about it a bit, we talk about it a bit. Well, we did it before, didn't we? We, we did one from each person's list at a time. Yeah, yeah no, but the yeah. thing is, we've got 11 movies to talk about, right? Okay. And Mark only usually lasts about 40 minutes, so let's get his out of the way. <laughs> that was well timed. Mouth of tea. Uh, <laughs> so, hmm. all right, Mark. The wife's okay. going to be very upset. JR takes I don't know, my wife would be well chuffed <laughs> with 40 minutes. So would mine. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> That's about as much as I've managed in the last six months. Um, no. <laughs> Not years, then. Anyway, what have you got, Mark? Go on, Mark. Tell us your first film and tell us why you've picked it. Okay, choice number one. Bearing in mind this was supposed to be fantasy, although you did say that it was fairly loose in its description, uh, I figured I'd go for what I consider to be one of the better ones of recent years, which is Guillermo del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. Great choice. Why is it a great choice, Lee? It's a great choice because it's a beautifully made film that is actually a fantasy stroke. Nasty reality. Mm. And it's also, you're not quite sure what's going on between the two worlds. Yeah. You know, the reality is so disgustingly horrible. And then you mm. get that beautiful, fantastical element as well. But that's also equally dark. Yeah. It's almost like, which, Lee, which one would you Lee, choose? Let you? Mark talk about his film. <laughs> Well, I did ask Lee. He did ask Lee. Okay, what's the next one, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just have to rein him in sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, Lee's right. I mean, it's um, he has got a bit of a reputation for being able to create these very believable worlds um, from this kind of fantastic fiction. So, I mean, one of the things that really appealed to me was the fact that they use um, practical effects as well as CG. Uh, just lends a, an extra reality to it and also the the creatures from the um sort of fantasy element of the film are sort of equal parts impressive in a sort of design way but also quite scary as well 
Hmm. Have you seen it, Chow? Um, I know I haven't. It's one of those films I've had on the shelf at home mm. well since it came out <clears throat> so it is an odd film because they are so totally opposite mm. the two worlds is that I'm wondering whether anybody actually physically physically I mean digitally cut the mm. film and just kept all of the reality mm. and all of the fantasy and just you can almost have two separate films and see how they, they pan out mm. so, to this to, okay so <laughs> right from what I'm picking up from this is the two stories going on in tandem yeah but do they not bleed into one another? They do to a degree, yeah. So mm. it's, it's set um, a short time <coughs> after the Spanish Civil War, and um, I won't give away too much in the in the plot. But anybody listening to this is going to have seen it, very possibly, oh, apart from me. apart from JR, yeah. <laughs> so there's uh, obviously it's Franco's uh, fascist dictatorship, and this captain gets sent to this forest in the middle of nowhere that, where there's like an out camp of um, rebels who are trying to fight against the fascist regime. So he's been installed to go out there and sort it out. And along with him, he takes his heavily pregnant wife and his stepdaughter. And in the sort of prologue at the start of the film, they talk about this magical world in an underground land where um, this princess escapes into what is our world and... Um, gets blinded by the light and forgets who she is and ends up dying in our world. But the king is confident that she's going to come back in the form of a spirit from another person, um, which kind of ties in with this girl turning up uh, in this <coughs> location. The way you, you said it, is, if anybody who hasn't seen it, mm. that sounds like quite almost Disney-esque, apart from the fascist bit. Yeah. But it isn't at all, is it? Well, I mean, the, the actual stuff that's taken place in our reality is incredibly brutal. The scene yeah. with a um, wine bottle, which is yeah, anything really hard done to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not pleasant. No, we're not talking Big Brother wine bottle, are we? No. <laughs> Lower taste. <laughs> um, Mr. Brett. And there are some really freaky creatures as well. The uh, the pale man, I think he's described as, is the one that I you know, instantly think of whenever anyone mentions Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a, an amazing film. Um, and visually. Yeah. Um, I, the first time I watched it, <clears throat> I wasn't really taking it in, but uh, every now and again I'm, my attention was drawn to it. What it made me think, of, what it reminded me of, is um, sort of the uh, Clive Barker. Yeah, those sort of creatures, mm. but far more. I don't know where they say much, much more substance and possibly a bit more imagination, more well, slightly more elegant. The paganistic all mm. the designs that are going on, a little bit of Celt going on as well. Mm. It's fairy, isn't it? It's fairy long. The yeah. dark side of fairy long. Mm. Mm. Cabal yeah. is what came to mind for some reason. I don't know why. But... And the sort of main. Fantasy figure who keeps cropping up is this fawn that um, gets the girl to to undertake these three tasks because he's convinced that she is the reincarnation of the princess, and he tells her cause she's having a horrible time because her stepdad is a, a brute of a bloke and um, she's really not very happy, and uh, he tells her that if she completes these three tasks, she will be welcomed back into this magical kingdom as a princess, and. Um, but you, you get this impression the whole way through that you're not sure whether to trust him or not. Mm. Or um, whether she really is yeah. the queen or not. It's yeah. really an ambiguous yeah. kind of line. But, and particularly in certain parts of the film, um, you're left wondering, you know, is this her imagination yeah. or is it 
that she's the only one that can see these creatures. Mm. But it's it's really well put <clears> together. It's funny in a strange way. It also reminds me of Heavenly Creatures, the Peter Jackson movie. Mm. Oh, Heavenly Creatures, yeah. In that you know the 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 potential there is for the main character to be escaping from reality in this way and uh, mm. and the two bleed over and it gets mm. nasty and in some ways it doesn't sound terribly unlike Mark's second choice which I suppose we can use as a segue <laughs> yeah so uh, my second choice is the movie Stardust which is based on Neil Gaiman's novel but from what I gather, I haven't. Although I've got the novel at home, I haven't actually read it yet. But from what I gather, it's been quite heavily condensed for the film. Yeah, fair enough. By whom? Uh, well, Matthew Vaughan was the sort of co-producer director, but it was also I think Jonathan Ross's wife was the Jane Kaufman. Yeah, the team who did Kick Ass, Kick-Ass and um, what's the new one? Um, the Kick Ass Two. No, the Spy. Oh one. yeah, um, Kingsman. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Still haven't seen that yet. No, neither have I. And of course, X Men First Class. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's not a bad. No, no, not a bad set of films, is it? Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, what I mean is, Stardust is one of those films that a lot of people would probably turn their noses up at. But mm. if you say, right, this is from the team that gave you Kick Ass, Kingsman, and X Men First Class, they might think to themselves, oh, maybe it is worth a look after yeah, all. Mm. Mm. And if they do take a look, Mark, what will they find? They'll find a lot of humour, which appeals to me greatly. Um, a really, pardon the pun, star-studded cast. Um, well, who's the lead female? Because that was quite a shock when I uh, watched that's it. Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, it's the film. No, 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 no. The the principal female. <clears throat> oh, um, oh, I can't remember her name now. Jude Law's ex missus or uh, missus or whatever, isn't it? It's uh, what was she called? Sadie. Sadie. Frost. No, 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 no. Oh. The blonde. Yeah. One. People Ding. screaming at their podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit so, the Googles. The one who's way more famous for being attached to various men than she is for being attached to any movies she's mm. ever done. <clears throat> also featuring Mark Williams um, as a goat. <clears throat> Otherwise known as Rory's dad in Doctor yeah. Who. Ricky Gervais. But it? Stardust, right, I've only watched it the once and it was ages ago, but mm. that features a story... Not a million miles away from Pan's Labyrinth, where it's mm. about somebody tra- uh, travelling from one world to another in order yeah. to uh, fulfill a quest. Kind of a, a quest, quest movie, yeah. 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 Mm. And once again, it's like once you've passed over the boundary, the mm. rules change. And I suppose this is what Neil Gaiman's good at. Mm. Neil Gaiman's good at world building, and what he does here is he builds two different worlds. Yeah. And he gives one of the characters the rules from one world and then puts them in a different world. Mm. So the way the character and the rules connect is in surprising ways that you wouldn't be able to guess at mm. unless you immerse yourself properly in the movie. That's similar to Neverwhere then, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I read a few quotes from Neil Gaiman while I was kind of just reading up on my choices and uh, he's quoted as saying that a lot of people <clears> have seen <throat> the film and then go to the book and quite often express disappointment because a lot of the stuff that... Matthew Vaughan brought to it wasn't in the original book. I think he said that he worked out the having done the audio book, it was about ten and a half hours worth of story. So you just have to mm-hmm. cut away some of that. Um, but I think it it's in its own right. It's a thoroughly entertaining film. Mm. It's got a kind of I think it pleases 
most people that would sit down and watch a film for 90 minutes. It's got a bit of romance, it's got comedy, it's got action. You've got famous people left, right and centre, you know, the sort of cream of British it's acting. a little bit like The Princess, Princess Bride, Bride. Mm-hmm. done as a fairy tale mm-hmm. rather than as a... Adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also features... This is the bit at which I get strangled by the three people looking at me. Take that's best song. Which one's that? Oh, I don't know what it's called. Uh, Rule oh. the world. Rule the world. Can you sing it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Everybody yeah. wants to. That's the world. The world. <clears throat> There's a dust and made yeah. of stars. It is tears for this, but I didn't want to tell him that. Anyway. Oh, okay. How <laughs> shelter, personally, anyway. or head over heels. I wasn't that. That's I've got to say, yeah, but you, you just sung Tears for Fizz. I said, "Take that." Yeah, I know you did. And then you sang "Rule Rule the World" by Tears for Fizz. I was punning on the fact that it's called "Rule the World." Apparently, oh, okay. <laughs> it's been a long week. It has. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Simon! You musical pedant. I'm <laughs> running out of patience. <laughs> Mark, um, back for good, back. I'm sorry, anyway. but I didn't think that much of Stardust actually. Really. No, I prefer The Princess Bride. Okay. I think it's, it's more of an American carry-on version of mm-hmm. an adventure story. And that was, I have to confess I haven't seen The Princess Bride. Better funny kind of punchlines. Mm. Comic beats in it. Mm. Stardust, I felt, it felt like it was trying too hard. But then again, that maybe the director. I'm sure the book's great. Mm. I really enjoyed Stardust. I thought it was great. Yeah. Mm. I mean, for what it is, because it's probably... Well, it is basically a children's film mm. with loads of adult content to keep the grown-ups happy, which is the best way to do a children's mm. film, I suppose. Mm. How did it do at the box office? I get the impression it's one of the, a lot of the films we've picked. Actually, they hit this middle ground where they yeah, kind of flop all... in the cinema and then they have this life afterwards. Yeah, yeah. don't they? Um, Possibly, yeah. Yeah, or they? not necessarily flop, but you know, just do medium business. Mm. And, and yeah, they're all films that are probably better known for TV and video than they are for uh, their original cinema outings. They take on a cult status later down the line. <clears throat> on the other hand, your third movie doesn't yeah, really fall into Yeah, it pretty much that bucks that trend altogether. Yeah. Yeah. When you gave us <laughs> the sort of rundown of what we could choose, you said so it can be strict fantasy or it can be a children's movie, it can be a superhero movie, you can really go to town on it. So my final choice... Is the Lego Movie? Wow! Have you guys seen it? Yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. No, it's on my shelf at home. Oh my god! Oh. It is actually really good. Oh, Do you know what? Phenomenally though? good. Talking about the genre we are, it's mm. probably it's a really brilliant example of something which completely draws from the genre and how popular it all is at the moment, and and it's using all of these influ- you No, know, like Lego does, it takes it's it's. Pulling in, you know, it's pulled in Doctor Who now, mm-hmm. isn't it? So you've got all this crossover Well, if there's a DC sequel, comics. you'll get Peter Capaldi in it. <laughs> there is a sequel planned. Oh, well, it'll have Peter Capaldi in it. Or somebody else, if he's changed. Yeah, by 2018. Yeah. Maybe. Probably be somebody who's still at school at the moment. And they've just announced, haven't they? Is it the writers of this and of Clay with a Chance of Meatballs are writing the Han Solo movie? Yes. I thought that was a joke. There's no. a Han Solo movie. Oh, mm-hmm. brilliant. Well, that's an old chap. Or no, young. younger, isn't it? As a young good. lad. Yeah. I think this works on a similar level to... Played by Shia LaBeouf. Oh dear. No, I'm just throwing that in for the funny. Mm, yeah. <laughs> That's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> it is. It's just... It's just... 
It's just an hour and... <laughs> what was funny is the way you said I'm throwing it in for the funny. Yeah. It's an hour and 28 minutes of Shia LaBeouf shouting down the camera's neck. You will enjoy this movie. You will. <laughs> I think it's one of those films that works on so many levels. You've got yeah, kids can just go in and have a ball with it. There's plenty of humour there for adults as well. Yeah. I mean, visually, on the big screen, <laughs> it is astonishing. Mm. You know, this is a CGI movie that uh, quite often with CG films... You can kind of look at them, unless they've spent an absolute fortune, it looks a bit fake in places. This is astonishing. It's like someone's spent years doing a stop animation. The thing about CG is if you try and get it to interact with real Mm, mm. reality, that's when it falls down. But Mm. if you create an entire movie... Which is perfect. Even if you go back to things like A Bug's Life and Ants... Mm -hmm. Toy Story. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Toy Story. Perfect example. It works because the whole <clears throat> world that you've built is all mm. built from the same building blocks. But there's some, yeah, see what you did there. There's some, uh, there's great sort of commentary on uh, consumerism and on using your imagination because obviously that's a that's huge thing Lego. Thing. Yeah, well, damn it, I should have picked Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it could have gone a bit schmaltzy at the end, but I think they just about pull it off. So to speak. I spent a good chunk of the film trying to chunk, good block of the film, mm. um, trying to work out whether it was CG or whether it was literally yeah. stop frame. Yeah, Are you sure it wasn't stop frame? No, it's CG. No. Oh, Stephen Chapansky, you know Radio Friscaro, huge Lego fan. Do you like Lego? Ah 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 ah! And when the trailer first came out, we were we were actually mm. messaging as the trailer came out, mm. and um, he said to me, oh, the, "The trailer just turned up." He said, "I think it's stop motion." And I looked at it and I said, don't be silly. No, I know, yeah. But yeah, but that's what I mean. What Going Margaret's by scale, saying is, you think, how could they do just that? Just from yeah. two Wasn't minutes that the idea? Wasn't the, that the idea to make it look like yeah. stop motion? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so they work really hard. To make it look like real Lego. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I, look, it's incredible. There's scenes where they're out on the ocean and there's massive waves crashing all over the place. Yeah. Made out of Lego waves. Made out of Lego, yeah. yeah. It's um, properly fun. There's a scene that's quite reminiscent of... Uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001, which is quite good, which uh, I'm oh, sure yeah. you'll enjoy, Joe, when you get to that bit. Does it go... Oh, and they take the piss out of Batman. Yes. Brilliant. Yes. Oh, yeah. A lot. You, yeah, is that why you like it? Yeah. Is that the only reason? Well, that's great. Well, it's, it takes the piss out of dark Batman, yeah. <laughs> well, it's this huge mashup of all these characters, so you've got, got Gandalf... This. From Lord I've got of the Rings, Batman. Now. I've got this image now of the original Batman running around in a lemon leotard. <laughs> Okay. WTF. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Dark Joe, yeah, when you said fantasy films, I didn't realise that's quite what you meant. Oh, oh, well, Adam West. They're all dressed in black, aren't they? Uh, Adam oh, blue. Adam West. Yeah. Black and blue. My Batman toy when I was a kid was kind of great. But you know, challenge blue. to the listener, if you, you're one of these sort of home CGI geniuses, if you can, if you can take a copy of Batman no, Begins and CG the entire <laughs> thing so that Christian Bale's running around in a lemon leotard, <laughs> please do. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I take it, Jay, you, you've seen where they've got hold of um, uh, Man of Steel. No, oh, I don't want to know about getting hold of Man of Steel. <laughs> Yeah, but they've got. The, they've I've got you, Man of Steel. So you have. <laughs> <laughs> Don't squeeze any tighter. But they've done that. Well, they've uh, reintroduced the colour into it. And it looks fantastic. Mm, yeah. Anyway, oh, I don't want to get yeah. onto that. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to get onto that because I'm obsessed with that. But. 
Yeah, you are. Yeah, you've got this amazing mashup of all these characters. Are you still talking about a Lego? <laughs> yes! Because <laughs> it's, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> it works so well. You know, you've got, um, it's very well connected. Yeah. It's another Quest movie, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's take it, the main. That is going to be a theme for tonight. Yeah, the main the main character is like an everyman sort of character. He's played by the guy that plays Star Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's his first sort of quite big role. Yeah, well, it's not of, that big. It's only about an inch in and a half. In terms of what it took at the box office, he's, he's the main guy in Jurassic World as well. I yeah, Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah. Great oh, and of course, it applies itself to Lego history anyway, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I noticed there's a little white astronaut guy who was the, I think he was the first of those minifigures. Mm-hmm. Fairly sure got one. Mm-hmm. Fairly sure. Somewhere in my mum's loft. Yeah, we had those. And the spaceship. Spaceship! Yeah. <laughs> what was the song they sang? Spaceship! Uh, everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. <laughs> everything is awesome. <laughs> oh, God. Do we all like it this film? In some way. J.R. is stuck in the 70s. I think J.R. does, and he's not even seen it. I love it, but I've not seen it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you must watch never, it. It's I haven't so sat good. down and watched it properly. I have to watch it in. That's how it is when you're small kids. You end up yeah. watching films in small well, why cities. Why don't we have a man Lego night? Does that, that doesn't sound right, does it? But you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But my missus, she who will not be fulfilled, likes Lego, so obviously we. That sounds like a mission statement. How come I was given a hard time for the bottle comment? <laughs> yeah, well, that was just filthy. Yeah, Simon. Yeah. Presumably, I've no idea what you're talking about, but my imagination did all the work. Mm. Mm. Jr. is having Jay- a cup of tea. <laughs> you're gonna do that every time I speak. Surreptitiously. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, that's surreptitious. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, I'm just tormenting Lee now. Jr. <laughs> hesitates the mug. Of those three movies, Mark, yes. Which one would be your favourite? Oh, I yeah, I think it probably is the Lego Movie. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because it's of how much fun, fun it is. It yeah. is a tremendous fun. Yeah, but I always find that you know, people some well, you know, this is not a, a criticism of anybody, but I think if a film fulfills a certain emotional and intellectual criteria. And yet manages also to be great fun. Mm. That stands it in great stead. Mm-hmm. I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I watched Citizen Kane a few years ago with somebody I was living with at the time. And he'd never seen it before. And he said, oh, it's black and white. But he was like well into movies and mm. watched loads of movies, but would only ever watch colour ones. Mm. And he saw it on my shelf and he said, oh, it's supposed to be the greatest movie ever made. And I said, yeah, and you know what? It probably is or thereabouts. And he said, yeah, but it's going to be boring, isn't it? And I said, no, it's really actually not boring. Because the reputation of great movies is that they're worthy and dull, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So yeah. actually, it happened to be on BBC Two one Saturday morning while I was out at work. And as I got home from work, it was five minutes from the end. And he just looked up at me and he said, oh, I got up and it was just starting. So I've watched it. And wasn't it terrific fun? Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, all these people who were... Uh, will harp on about these great, worthy, but dull movies. Mm. I'd rather have worthy, but fun. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And so that's what I'm saying about the Lego movie. It probably fulfills a bunch of other criteria, but as long it's, as it keeps you entertained. It's, and it's one of these multi-level ones like mm. Toy Story where it'll work on yeah. multiple levels to please everyone. And if you play the Lego games, which my yeah. son does and I have <clears> quite a lot of years, quite a lot of years, literally years of playing it, you, you get all of that little um, comedic 
kind of element going through the games yeah. as well. So when we when the Star Wars came out, I thought we started playing it, and of course there's some comedy in there. Mm. You get the cheery dancing, and you know we can swap heads with certain. And I thought, what are you doing? This is Star Wars. This is sacred. What you shouldn't be doing? I hate this game. And I've got to say, after a couple of hours, I was like, this is the best game I've <laughs> yeah. ever played. Yeah, it was. It actually nailed it. And mm. they do it with all of them. Lord of the Rings is quite funny as yeah. well to play. Uh, it's quite literally a license to be kind of self-aware and so. Yeah, oh, can you imagine the fun you'd have with the Doctor Who game oh. with uh, Peter Capaldi's head on Colin Baker's costume? <laughs> <laughs> Daleks look odd though, don't they? Daleks look mm. odd. Different. Yeah, they look like I've they've been made of bits of other kits. People have been raving about the fact that Lego have got Doctor Who. The character building Daleks and yeah. the character I thought the character building doctors were great yes yeah. rather than being like just a Lego head with a hair mm-hmm. that basically the hair represents which doctor it is they're like little caricatures of the actual doctors I thought mm-hmm. they were great mm. so did I <clears throat> I was hoping Lego would release just a game on Doctor Who but maybe they will maybe down it's the line but they've only the, just uh, got the license it's nice so. to see it done properly wouldn't yeah. it yeah. just failed every time mm. well the Doctor Who trailer they put out was fantastic wasn't it yeah it was, but you're right, Sam, and all the Doctor Who uh, video games have been pretty pants. Some of the BBC ones were all right. They're sort of problem you yeah, the mini games. Well, the ones that are online, you mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm kind of thinking of the ones you just go and buy and for consoles no, or whatever. No, no, no. They've been pretty I don't cool. think at this point they've had the... I do wonder whether it's because they haven't had investment. Hmm. I think it's because it's such an odd concept for overseas games developers to get their teeth into, and they're not mm. entirely sure that the global markets. I think Lego is quite a good match because the whole thing, yeah. Doctor Who, they don't the Doctor doesn't really use guns very much, all that sort of thing. So yeah. having this kind of building, you've got a, yeah, and you've got to remember that when it comes to making games in America, there's a whole hell of a lot more money mm. because it costs millions to mm. come up with a decent game, mm. console game. But the fact that Doctor Who is in a Lego game, now, yeah. along with Batman and all the other, you know, kind of <clears throat> they use. That's quite an odd thing for us Doctor Who fans because it's it now really is mainstream. Global. It really yeah. is mainstream. Yeah, it's hit. Puts the Doctor up among the Gods. standard icons of mm-hmm. American culture. Yeah, and and that's something that's been on the cards for the last five years. And now, because the Lego game is pretty much actually happened. Mm. Which, if you ask me, makes the Doctor Who movie now almost inevitable. Mm. But if you think about it, and yes, we got to it before, was Tom Baker appearing in The Simpsons, wasn't it? That was kind of about as high visibility as, mm. as it yeah. was ever going to be. But, yeah. And the thing is, The Simpsons would do cameos from pretty obscure people. Mm. Mm. The, the makers of the game, of the series and the, yeah. and the more sort of intelligent and sort of widely read in sort of televisual terms, of their viewers would get, but that other people watching would just think were eccentric characters. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we should move on to somebody else, because mm. we have got a hell of a lot to get through, and actually, even though I said maximum of 11 films, I think it is going to be 12, because I've realised something, Lee. You've written down the same film there as Simon's written there, but you've missed something off your list. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely crucial, and that is one of your absolute favourite films of all time, we... and fulfils the fantasy genre to a T. He can borrow the extraneous one that say, you added yeah. to your first one, yeah. <laughs> no... No, 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 I'm not saying he's missed off the definite oh, article. No. I'm saying he can get rid of his second choice, which is the same as Simon's first oh, choice, yeah. and put a different choice in there. Oh. Because oh. you've forgotten something, Lee. Yes. Okay, we'll go to you now, and I'll tell you what you've forgotten, and you will swear and slap your bollocks. I know what I've forgotten. 
Well, no change there. I haven't forgotten. I took it off on purpose. Why? Because I talk about it a lot. Oh. oh. Go on then. Talk about it again now. It's Willow. No, it's not. But it's a great film. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Lord of the Rings. No, you've already done Lord of the Rings. That's what podcast. I just said. Yeah. That's why it's not on there. Which one uh, are you talking about then? I'm talking about Gino and Caro's first film. What, Delicatessen? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, of course it's a fantasy, isn't it? Yeah, let's have that on there instead, then. Yes. You can kick Dark Crystal right off. <laughs> don't, don't tell them what's on Simon's list, <laughs> <laughs> But it isn't, it's on my list. Yeah, all right. Okay, we're doing you now, Lee. Willow. Delicatessen. <laughs> tell us about Delicatessen. Oh, crumbs. Um, Delicatessen. Crumbs in the Delicatessen. <laughs> Oh, what a beautiful film. Um, Juno, I can never say it, was it Juno and Caro, isn't it? Mm. Um, between them, they, they created these two films, City of Lost Children and Delicatessen. The one I prefer is Delicatessen, because it was the first one I saw. And at the end of the uh, video version, you had a very short film, which was called Things You Love, Things You Hate, which I remember talking to um, a professional filmmaker about and um, a lecturer in Exeter College about it. And I said, you could make an entire film out of that. He said, no, 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 it just wouldn't hold any water. It wouldn't be very interesting. And then he went and made Amelie, which is exactly what that is. Um, but that, that, made that's just a little additional thing. But Delicatessen was, is beautiful because it's set in a kind of dystopian future, I suppose. And uh, there's a really dark, there's a dark something going on in these block of flats. And you don't quite know what it is, even though the film's called Delicatessen. You kind of get the idea that everybody's quite hungry. And um, meat comes from somewhere, as it was. It's all a bit soiled and green. It is a little bit like that, but that's just the background. I mean, what it is is really character pieces. There were lots of very funny and interesting character pieces. What they're geniuses at Well, they're all grotesques, aren't they? They're grotesques, exactly what it is, yeah. Um, They're very good at kind of picking up on the extremities of of, of weird people and weird things, and and normal things as well. And they like to concentrate on the tiniest Well, they will take a tiny little tick and they will exaggerate it to the point at which it becomes the personality. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's a guy who's trying to kill himself. Um, Is it a guy or girl? No, it's a guy. It's the little guy, isn't it? What's it called? It's not the little guy, but... Oh, is it not? No. And, you know, it's so hilarious the way he's trying to do it. And And he just... Throughout the film, every Fails. five minutes, there's a failed attempt at suicide. <laughs> <in the laughs> you know, and there's a, the little guy, um, P- P- uh, P- what's his name? Pino. Pino. I think, yeah. Yeah, he's in Diva and Alien 3. But, uh, oh, Diva, yes, of course he is. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. He's the guy on the motorbike, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, it, I can't recommend this film highly enough, and it's it's one of those things, it, there's not a lot that's going on. There's a kind of bit of a, a, a boy meets a girl and tries to rescue a girl from a situation. But that's really the slim line of the plot. It's just the whole feeling of the film. That's what yeah. I like about it. It's an atmosphere. Exactly. It's yeah. the ambiance that they create. Beautiful. And what they do is, <clears throat> like we were talking about world building, and mm. we're talking about fantasy movies, and fantasy movies are all about world building. And it is a case of, do you believe in the world that has been created? And if you do believe in the world that's been created... You don't need much more than a fairly slim plot, which is why a lot of these are quest plots. Mm. Because in a quest plot, it's not really so much about anything more than a very simple target Mm. and sort of the journey towards that target. Mm. And any journey, what you do is you colour it in with characterisation. So most of the films we're talking about, what you're talking Mm. about is building a world and sticking these characters in giving them a goal of some kind so that you can just use that goal 
as you know the backdrop to filling in the characterization, mm-hmm. and that's what we're talking about with all of these films. Yeah, to be frank. and there's there's two on my list actually, which um, <clears throat> really wanted to make. I really wanted to become a filmmaker of sorts, and one of those I'll talk about in a minute. But um, this one, I was thinking mid twenties, and that's what made me want to go into kind of studying film a bit more and actually getting a hold of a camera and trying to do it myself, which was frustrating. Because in those days, you didn't have all this lovely digital editing that you can do now. No. So it's all done on video recorders. Twelve hours to edit 12 minutes or something. <laughs> it just took out your thing. was awful, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I didn't have any equipment <laughs> at all, did I? <laughs> on what level? I was just having fun. <laughs> you were having fun. Uh, you should put them up online. They're great. But uh, no, it's, you, you, the DVDs have all died. <laughs> have oh, they? Yeah. No way. I've, yeah. Got, I've got one somewhere. Remember the guy walking backwards? That was my brother. Yeah. There you go. There you yeah, but he didn't find out he was walking backwards. I did this five-minute film, and it was like, and it was my brother walking around Exeter University campus. Mm. But what I did was, I got him to walk around the campus backwards and reverse the footage. Right. So, but I the first four minutes of it, I filmed it all in places where there's nobody in the background. Mm. So it just looks like he's walking around the campus, and he's really? got like this really odd walk. <laughs> yeah. And then. In the last minute of the film, all of a sudden, the background of the film mm. becomes fuller and fuller of people who are walking forwards. But of course, because it's reversed, they're all walking backwards. Mm. So there's just dozens and dozens of people walking back <laughs> across <laughs> behind him for the last minute. This was, yeah, I mean, this was a MacGuffin film, wasn't it? Was that the one that I was in? Yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, And John Seeley, another filmmaker. Yeah, he was in right. But um, yeah, so it's, it's that kind of period where you were making films and I was getting... Cameron doing silly stuff as well, and it was really inspiring. And Delicatessen was one of those films that I, I'd watched, and it inspired me to join a film course to do make my own films. And all I all I kept thinking about was the cinematography and the fact that every single shot in that film and his subsequent films could be a poster. Yeah, just so beautifully, you know, I can imagine spending hours and hours mm. setting it up like a photo photo composition. composition. Yeah. yeah, the composition is gorgeous. So Delicatessen. So true of Emily. Yeah. yeah, and there's the yeah. art direction as well. It's like the art direction on Jeno and Caro's films, or just oh. on Jean Pierre Jeno's films. Yeah, it's absolutely astonishing. Yeah. which is what helps him to do it, which is what allows him to mm. do it. To mm. be frank, but yeah, it's when you get a collaboration like that, which is mm. why Alien Resurrection doesn't really quite mm. work because no, it's a shame. he's not really working with the kind of art direction he usually has either. No. And he's got all the same actors, but of course they're not playing the characters quite that they usually play. But imagine if he did have the same art direction. What an interesting film that would have made. But, you know, the second film, La Cité des Enfants Perdue... Well done. Perdue. ...is is just as beautiful as the first one. It is. The the, the thing about that second film is, I, I don't quite know what it is, but it doesn't... Oh, I'll tell you what it is. Partly is that there's a lot of babies crying in that film. I've got a thing against babies crying. Uh, yeah, it makes me feel a bit weird. I don't like it. And um, the, all of that was, I couldn't really handle that part of the film, but I absolutely adored, you know, the little fleas that were in it. Do you remember the little fleas? Oh, yeah. The cl- massive close-up of a little flea with all this kind of, almost steam, well, they call it steampunk now, don't they? But it's clockwork stuff going on, flying around. And, um, oh, just, yeah, amazing. Gorgeous. Um, who's, the, who's the main actor? Ron Perlman's in that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, He's in Hellboy. Which is mm, yeah. Hellboy. Del Toro. Yeah, again. Del Toro, yeah. yeah. But it's all in French. Mm-hmm. So Not if you listen to the English version. Especially <laughs> the one that's dabbed into Australian. <laughs> <laughs> when are you gonna do your Australian accent? <laughs> <and> yeah. <laughs> Ooh, on. I tell you what, I'll save my laughter from that little 
joke until later on, Mark, because I don't want to spoil the rest of the podcast for the listeners. Lee, what's another one of your film choices then? Okay, <clears> let's go. Um, well, let's go. Let's go a bit. Well, not serious, but um, a little bit more. Com- it's a bit worthy, I suppose. Excalibur from nineteen eighty-one, John Borman. Uh, this this is this divides certain people. I think I've, I've talked to people about this film for a long, long time, and I absolutely adore this film. And others have found it terminally dull and a bit boring. <clears throat> but I found it amazing when I was twelve. Mm. I think it's the first bit of nudity I'd ever seen as well. That probably helped. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Simon's going, hang on, what's this? <laughs> I was going to say, it's a darling of video rental, isn't it? Another one of these films. Again, a lot of these films. That was a video, so, that was a high video rental mm, at the time. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that at the age of the 12, <laughs> you're getting your sword stuck in a stone? Jeez Louise, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> I thought, anyway, hey, I thought Excalibur was absolutely appalling and yeah. atrocious movie. <laughs> but do you know I haven't seen it for around about... A decade, I think, possibly. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to rewatch it, and there's a reason for that. It's because the other week um, at um, a convention that I, I was at, I was interviewing a few people, and one of those people was Terry English, who did all of the armour for that film. So, um, the, you know, the, the <coughs> Mordred, who runs around in this strange golden armour, laughing, hee, hee, spooky. Um, <laughs> that was made by this chap, Terry English. Oh, this is the one with Nicole Williamson is Merlin, isn't it? Yeah, and he's got this plate. Oh, it, yeah, it's a chrome, oh, chrome plate. Yeah. Now, skull cap thing I absolutely love that and I love his version of it he's very strange the way he talks it's great but the <laughs> the skull cap I have you ever seen his Hamlet <laughs> no I bet it's exactly the same <laughs> I have seen his Hamlet it's, it's exactly the same very strange <laughs> it doesn't change his voice at all no he's got no. a I can't do an impression of him but you know to be or not to be to be or not to be <laughs> Yeah. Just like Tom Baker, where he said that people just expected him to be doing the Doctor, so rather than trying to act differently for different parts on the stage, you just do the Doctor. Nicole Williamson's a great actor, mm. RSC actor, award-winning, I think, and yeah, you stick him in a film like that, and mm. it's like, well, he just goes to town, doesn't he? He does go to town, and as kids, we used to quote Merlin more than anything else, me and my, mm. my, my friends, and... Um, I asked Terry about the, the, the play in his head and I said, what was, what was the decision of taking away the long hair? Uh, you know, he said, oh, it's a director's decision. They wanted to do something different. And he mentioned, oh, let's, let's put a play on his head. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's like, yeah, okay. And he went and got this piece of... Uh, Crockery? <laughs> piece of metal. I don't know what it was. He, was. he knew what he was talking about. And he said, he just banged it in the shape like that, banged it in the shape, and then stuck it on his head and it just kind of sucked itself onto his... <laughs> this piece of metal sucked itself onto Merlin's head. <laughs> There you go, Chef. Anyway, and uh, yeah, so that that it look, was, it was great. Yeah, I love that, that look. Actually, kind of bled through to the comics, to comics, and because I'm thinking about some of the Alan Davis Captain Britain. Merlin appeared in that, and he did yeah. a very similar look. Yeah, but was yeah. Helen Mirren in the uh, Helen comic Mirren. books as well? In the in the buff. No, but Alan Davis could draw women mm. as good as Helen Mirren. Alan Davis. Alan Davis, yeah, the artist. Oh right, not the comedian. Then. No, not Alan Davis <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Although he's a bit of a sex symbol, so he could probably draw Helen Merrin if he wanted to. We could. Um, <clears throat> this this film is is um is overly star it's overly stylized, right? <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of Vaseline yeah. on the front that's of the all, lens. That's all I remember is um there's there's yeah. Patrick Stewart in there, you know, overacting as it's It's like off. the web planet meets Robin yeah. Hood. Men in touch. Shut all your neckles. Okay, as a kid, I thought it was the best. It's one of Let those... the boy try! That's what I remember. It's one of those films where if you surrendered to it, 
it creates a universe. Mm. But oh my god, if you look at it dispassionately from the outside, I, you've got to ask what everybody thought, what the hell they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought I loved it. I thought it was great. It's but, I've never told you actually. Um, it's very talking, dark. Talking to Terry in the armor, there was a guy I was at college with, and he. He was a punk and he was a Dead Kennedys fan and he had a massive Mohican mm-hmm. and uh, this big leather jacket. But attached to the jacket was like, a, I don't know what you call it, the bit that goes over the, the elbow on the on the armour, yeah. a piece of armour attached to his leather jacket. And it leather was, patch? Leather no, no, it was actually a piece of armour from Excalibur. <laughs> oh, right. Because he knew Terry. That's, oh. That seems to be the way at the moment. He's, he's still got the stuff and he did his display it the other day. There's a load of armour that he did for lots of other films and stuff as well. And Alien, uh, Alien and Aliens. He worked on Aliens, rather. Mm. All kinds of bits and pieces he's been working on. And he, he was there and he's been sending little bits off to certain people. Mm. And he said, oh yeah, that's the original piece of that and that's the original piece of that. And this was back in the 90s. Yeah. He's a very generous man. Mm. Not if he's selling it, he ain't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. At a good price too. So Excalibur... <coughs> That's probably yeah, just a John very... Borman is one of those guilty filmmakers. Pleasure. That's a guilty pleasure. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. But he so reminds Borman did me. Deliverance. Or am I imagining that? Yeah, yeah. no, he did. Yeah. But he also did. Oh, what's the one he did about the Amazon rainforest? Oh no, <clears throat> oh, that wasn't very good, was it? With Powers Booth in it, I think. Oh. It was oh, just was it awful. And no, he mean... did um, Hope and Glory, which was a that decent was film. Right. Yeah, okay. but I mean, a lot of his. I, yeah, most more of his films are more like the Amazon rainforest one than they are like Hope and Glory. Yeah. He's one of those directors, a bit like William Friedkin, I think, who's mm. hit gold a couple of times. Yeah, but the rest of his career leads you and Zardoz as well, John Borman. Oh, oh well, yeah. The rest of his him? yeah, the rest <laughs> of his career leads you to believe that the couple of times he's hit gold mm. have been pure accidents. Yeah, Zardoz is one of those films where I've only ever seen the last ten minutes about six or seven times. <laughs> Just I because you repeated it over and over, because you couldn't believe what you were without, watching. Without, that's actually the best bit. Is it? Seriously, yeah. There's a lot of walking around in that film. Zardoz, Robin Hood, men in nappies. It <laughs> 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 actually is. No, uh, anyway, that's my own thing. All right, let's yeah, move yeah. on to your third choice. Then. All right, Clash of the Titans. Yay! Classic, classic oh, film. Why? This is so curious, though. Yes. It might be an age thing. Why? Because... You know, assuming you mean the original, not oh, the remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. the remake's fun. The first one's mm-hmm. right. The second one's absolutely abysmal. Oh, I've not seen the second one, but Clash of the Titans, right? Ray Harryhausen, mm. fantasy movies all the way, and the really famous ones. Yeah, couple of the Sinbad ones. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Jason yeah. and the Argonauts. Yeah. So why Clash of the Titans? Right. I love all of his stuff. Um, don't Is it? I've got nothing. a theory. Shall I throw I it at you? Or do you want me to save it until no, you... No, no, you can try. Clash of the Titans is Ray Harryhausen's greatest hits. Greatest movie. hits. Yeah. Mm. Maybe I didn't know that at the time, but it does feel like that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think we're of a generation as well. We would have been about the right age for when it came out of the cinema yeah, as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm. I went to see it at the cinema. Mm. Blew my mind away. Yeah. Um, wanted... Uh, I wanted to be an animator after that film, uh, yeah. a, a model animator. Mm-hmm. It's like every time you go and see a film, you want <laughs> yeah. to be something. Yeah. It's like when you went to see <laughs> Delicatessen, you wanted to be a movie maker. When um, you went to see Clash of the Titans, you wanted to be an oh, animator. I don't like where this is going. And when you went to see Excalibur, <laughs> you wanted to be the sword and the stone. <laughs> oh, shut up. 
Anyway, Clash of the Titans. It was. Yeah. It was that. It was the fact that we were both that age and we went to see it. I went to see Popeye, Popeye I think, and Clash yeah. of the Titans in the same year. There's no confidence. Popeye? No, Popeye. That's a really interesting movie. Oh, I won tickets it. to see Popeye from the Express it. and Echo. Me and my it's, brother went to see it. It probably is awful, but it's one of the, It's a bit like Excalibur in that yeah. Yeah. it sort of builds this world. And if you immerse yourself in it, it kind of works. But if you don't, and if you mm. just look at it sort of objectively from the outside, you're just thinking, what the hell was anybody thinking? <laughs> I think um, I'm going to have to rewatch Popeye. We ought to do that for Polish and the Nerd on The casting was, yeah, I, I couldn't get my head around I haven't seen it since Popeye. I watched it at the cinema. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I tell you what, though, um, Shelley mm. Duval as Olive Oil. Perfect. Perfect casting. Oh, yeah, yeah. the casting was really good in all of it. I yeah. thought even John Williams was good. Yeah, Wimpy was brilliant. Yeah. But there just wasn't, and there wasn't anything to it, was mm. there? I just didn't get it as a kid. But I really enjoyed Clash of Times. It had myths and monsters, yeah. and I love Greek mm. myths anyway. I grew up loving Greek myths. Uh, you know, the when I saw, I thought there was a making of there was a making of Clash of the Times on telly, possibly or something. Mm. And again, I was looking at it and thinking, that's what I want to yeah. do. I want to make this. Remember Screen Test? Yeah. Um, mm. Michael? No. Um, was it Michael? Michael Rod? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Screen Test, and uh, you would have. In between the kind of quiz, young filmmakers sending in their stuff yeah, all the right, time. Yeah. And all I ever wanted to do was have a camera so I could make something and send it to that. Yeah. But everybody who had cameras in those days were rich. Mm. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. the cameras cost a fortune. Yeah. They were huge, proper cameras. Yeah. So it's pointless. I, my dream was squished pretty quickly. And I also couldn't do models. I tried making them out of plasticine and they looked <laughs> 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 eyes sticking out of stocks. And, and then they keep bits falling off. <laughs> they look like amoebas. But um, no, I love genetic experiments. <laughs> and I recently saw the Medusa um, for real up in mm. uh, up in London. Only rolling oh, joints. Gorgeous, oh, yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. The model is unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely fell in love with that film. I don't, you know, it made me want to go out and read uh, all the kind of books on legends as well, yeah. Greek, Greek myths. And uh, I think everybody. Everybody in my school at the time was talking about it. Again, so, the casting is great as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Olivier, Harry Hamlin's pretty yeah. good as a hero, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't do much else. Oh, who does plays he? the, so kind of the bad guy again? Uh, he's a great actor. Caliban. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I can't remember now. But Calibos. Calibos, Cal- Calibos yeah. sorry. He looks like um, Gene Simmons from Kiss, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, when you look at it now, I mean, I've watched it recently with Finn, and he loved it, by the yeah. way. He does pick up on stuff and says, oh, that's a bit cheesy, mm. all that sort of mm. Look at the effect on that, because obviously <clears throat> they're using mm. just a giant yeah. cinema screen and putting the actors in front of the mm-hmm. screen, reacting to stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and you can really see, uh, you know, the, the failings there. Not back bad projection. at Dragon, but yeah. back projection, sorry, yeah. But what you was saying about the, the greatest hits is absolutely spot on. You know, you've got all these amazing... Cause, Harry Housen, it was all about the creatures, wasn't it? And those amazing stop motion creatures. You know, you've got a producer, you've got mm. Calibos, you've got those Cerberus. weird witches. And... Yeah. Oh, yeah. The thing about Clash yeah. of the Titans yeah. is between, I don't know, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, certainly by the mid 60s, between the mid 60s and sometime in the early 70s, there was like a Harry Housen mm. movie every year or every other year. Mm. And then all of a sudden, there was a five year period. Yeah. Mm. When there was no Harry Housen films coming out, and I think and the then, last one was Simba and the Eye of the Tiger in seventy mm. four or five. Yeah. No, it was later than that because I went to the cinema. To see it. it was seventy seven. Seventy seven. So you spy love me, yeah. So then yeah. there was a four year gap, so yeah. and that four year gap is the gap that I fell through because although I was watching things like Jason and the Argonauts on telly, mm. <clears throat> well seventy seven I would have been eight, 
and then when Clash of the Titans come out, I'm 12. And Clash of the Titans, or any of those other films, mm. is perfect for when you're somewhere between 8 and 12. Yeah, mm. yeah. that's bang on. So I absolutely missed the boat on mm. Harry Harrelson. Although, like I say, at that age, during that four-year period, I was watching things like the Sinbad films on telly and absolutely adoring them. Yeah. But there was never one in the cinema for me What's that? Is at the right time. kind of animated film models? I can't remember. Clash of the Titans? Yeah. It was cert- I don't know if it was its actual last one, but it's certainly the last regarded big hit, as... Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think I after think, that... After that, I think he did, if I'm not mistaken, I might be remembering this completely wrong, but I think after that, he did the occasional effect in horror movies. Oh, probably. Which would be not where the horror movie was built around a series of effects, Mm. but where he'd just come in and do one effect for one scene. You say about horror, that sequence with Medusa is... Beautifully lit, Mm. animated, and it's a real classic Mm. piece, I think. Um, little anecdote, um, I don't know if I've said it on the po- podcast before, possibly on the radio show, is that a friend of mine from years back used to say that my dad used to work in the movies, he worked as a mat artist. And it's one of those where he sort of kept telling stories and that, and he, I think he said something about working on the old Dalek movies. I went to school with somebody called Matt Artist, you know? Did you? <laughs> no. But I did but anyway, go to school with somebody called Emigration. But it's, it's one of those where you get these stories and you, you're never quite sure whether it's true or not. I did actually. And it's I, true. Emigration, real person. <laughs> but then one day Toby, I went Toby back. Toby Chuck is a real person. What sorry, sorry. Up. All right, this is a really good story, and you'll be very jealous. And I don't care you're laughing at me. I'm very <laughs> we'll jealous. Be jealous because we've talked over it. We've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> went back to his house, and he said, "Here, look you went at back this. to his house. Look at this." And he picked up a clay model off off the shelf, got it out of a cabinet, gave it to me, and holding it, and it was the clay model of Perseus. What? From Clash of the Titans. So not only sculpted by Ray Harryhausen's actual hands, but held by Laurence Olivier as well. And oh. then you... And then Simon and then I Brett. It. No, I didn't. What a come down. <laughs> <laughs> but that was one of the best moments ever. Has he still got it? I don't know. I lost contact with him. Right. He did live in Exeter, Might actually, funny enough. But... Everybody yeah. comes to Exeter in the end. Hi, Jenny. Hey, Jenny. <laughs> Hello, Jenny. <laughs> Jenny. Right, Simon, I'll toss you to see who goes next and who goes last. I'm leaving the room. This is going to make for interesting listening. <laughs> You've got a nerve to have a tell me about the bottle. This is getting, this is getting hey, taken off. the bottle was just outrageous. <laughs> I was just breathing. I think you should reverse that on the bottle. There we go. It's only a miniature. All right, I'm going next. Didn't need the sound effects, Mark. I've just realised something. <laughs> when I came up with this idea, there was a film, and I thought, right, that's one of my list, and then I've completely forgotten about the it. Phantom Menace. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sci-fi. No, I'll tell you what's not on my list, but it should have been the Sword and the Sorcerer. Oh, that's I've never seen it. Never seen it. Always wanted to. Brilliant. You tell film. me that Excalibur's bad, and then you go the Sword and the Sorcerer. That's an absolutely terrible film. Yeah, but it's deliberately Crap. ridiculous. Yeah, whereas so Excalibur... So good. Yeah. Sword and the Sorcerer is not taking itself remotely seriously. No, oh, just briefly, where do we all stand on Hawk the Slayer then? So obviously they're doing a sequel, aren't they? It was all right. A sequel? Mm. A sequel to a film from 35 years ago that yeah. nobody thought was much cop in the first place. Same director. 
Oh, what's his face is doing Kickstarter for the third Wicker Man film now? Oh, mm. well, that's because I think they're doing the same with Bill and Ted's movies as well. Really? But Bill and Ted's, well, the second Wicker Man and the remake of the Wicker Man were, you mm. know, bombed. So this is mm. why he's gone to Kickstarter for the third one because nobody else will give him any yeah. money to do it. He needs to do it like the Blair Witch Project. Let's get, give a couple of people some cameras and leave them on an island. What, for a remake or a sequel? I thought it was a Blue Lagoon. For a sequel. <gasps> Have you ever seen Blue Lagoon 2? Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Mark's here. It's Mila Jovovich. What, is that? Oh. Joking me. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Might have to get what, with blonde curly hair? Pardon? <laughs> Not the bloke. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> so what's on your list then? <clears throat> right, so Sword and the Sorcerer's not on it. I'll tell you what else is not on it that I really want to on it, because it's my favourite film of all time. But I said these films all had to be 1963 or after, and it's 1946. A matter of life and death. Oh, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. But the three films that are on my list are all... Well, here's the thing... I said, let's do the fantasy sidebar. And then I thought, I can't think of anything. (laughs) (laughs) So in the end, I've come up with three films that some people might point out and say, well, that's science fiction. But really, they're not. not. The first one on my list is Time Bandits. Oh, yes. (sighs) Another darling of video rental. Yeah, it was... It did all right in the cinema when it came out. Mm. Because it was the... It was almost sort of the last hurrah for Monty Python. Mm. It wasn't really a Python film, but it had a lot of Python involvement. Connections. Yeah, John Cleese is in it, of course, as Robin Hood. And it was um, Terry Gilliam. Jabberwocky for kids. Well, it's... Really? Uh, Well, it said so. The same feeling. I mean, it's It's the same feeling. Terry Gilliam has that kind of handmade feeling, which is what... Why they're called handmade films. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It really does feel like that. And whose company is Handmade Films? George, George, Harrison. George Harrison, yeah, mm. who did a great track at the end of the film, which I really like as well. It's a great film. It's Thank just, you, Vic and Bob. It's just daft. But what it does, and again, it's one of these films where it just creates a universe and populates it with characters and doesn't bother with much, by the way, of a story. Mm. But where, it, the, where the story ends up, David Warner as the devil. It's like, wow. <laughs> That's just... You know why you like it? Because it's nigh on Stephen Moffat time travel. Not really. Oh, I think it is. Well, the time, but the time travel in Time Bandits doesn't have any bearing on the actual plot mechanics. No, but... Interesting, I was in a really interesting discussion in a forum earlier this week about Let's Kill Hitler and a lot of people's take on it and uh, it did make me think that you know the the kind of frantic nature of that and the fact that you know they just turn up and punch Hitler in the face and bugger off again and it's true actually that does echo Time Bandits with them all crashing through the Napoleon yeah, yeah it was yeah. Bill and Ted's as well wasn't it well yes. and the yeah and the dwarves who are doing the time banditing they just don't care do they they're just mm. oh we've got the keys let's go and do some robbing I can imagine Stephen Moffat writing a crossover with Time Bandits. I can imagine it. Well, Stephen Moffat did the script for Steven Spielberg's um, Tintin. Yes. So you can imagine that if Stephen Moffat hadn't been offered the Doctor Who job, he'd now be doing children's Mm. movies. Mm. 
So something like Time Bandits. Because Time Bandits, it's a children's movie, but it's one of those children's movies that has so much meat on the bones for parents. Mm, yeah. Sean Connery <laughs> is there. But it, and like all the best comedies, the actors in it, the characters in it rather, are taking it completely seriously. Yeah. Mm. Sean Connery's character is absolutely mm. taking his role in the film seriously. Mm. And yet he's there to be made a fool of. Mm. And there's just some wonderful stuff where it purports to it purports towards being a science fiction film, if you will, because of the time travel aspect and saying, right, we've got a bunch of people who have found these wormholes, if you like, whatever, to various times and places. But the deeper into the film you get, the more you realise that the times and places they're turning up in are not real times and places. Mm. I mean, you start off with Napoleon and that's okay. Napoleon's the little guy and there's all sorts of randomly (laughs) mad stuff. But there's nothing there that's fantastical. But then you get a Minotaur and then you get, you know, Mm. Prince Charles's Robin Hood. And then, of course, at the end of the film, you get the giant with the boat on his yeah. head oh, and the devil. Good. so good. Yeah. It's, Terry Gilliam's got one of those careers where everything he's tried to do has been just too left field for Hollywood. But also uh, too expensive for anybody else to bankroll, which is why his career is littered with projects that never made it to the screen. Don Quixote is the big one, isn't it, really? Yeah. But that, but, was, that was fought with disaster <clears> as well, <throat> wasn't it, all the way yeah. through, hence the film. <laughs> but Time Bandits is the one occasion in his entire career, I think. And there have been other great films that he's made. Well, I love Barry Munchausen. Oh, that's a bit of a favourite of mine. Mm-hmm. It's awful. But it's, it's great, awful. but it's awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it is. It is awful. So awful that Robert Williams took his name off the film. Well, that was one of the ten worst you know, most disastrous films of all time. Of all time, and I've watched it about fifteen times in my life. Twelve but Monkeys was considered yeah, a success, like wasn't it? Yes, Fisher yeah, King. Yeah, yeah. Fisher King, of course. Yeah. yeah, that was his big one, wasn't it? Mm. But I didn't like that at all. Well, the thing, right. yeah, no, it's fair enough. Every time Terry Gilliam had a film come out after after Time Bandits, Time Bandits was his, you know, the last time when he could. Like I've said about Doctor Who, sometimes there come a there came a point in his career where all of a sudden his career was about being Terry Gilliam rather than Terry Gilliam just making films. Time Bandits is the last time he just makes a film. And like John Carpenter, for example, every film he's made after that has been a Terry Gilliam film. Mm. So even even Brazil, Brazil was the first one where it's ostentatiously Terry Gilliam's take on something as opposed to just an idea and Terry, Terry Gilliam happens to be the guy who's making it. And from Brazil onwards, it's like a downward spiral of you either catch the mood he's trying to create or else, you know, his career's littered with white elephants, really. I think why I like the Time Bandits and Barry Munchausen is because you get uh, so many different situations. Um, turn it, it cracks a pace, basically, you know. Mm. So you've got, like you say, all these different eras, just like Doctor Who, isn't it, where you just turn up in different eras and have these different adventures. Whereas the Fisher King, I think 12, um, not 12 Monkeys, but... Um, yeah, 12 J- Monkeys. Jabalki, rather. All one situation, one area, mm. one, one particular place. And so, don't forget Holy Grail. And Holy Grail. Mm. Holy Grail's a classic. It is. God, it's one of my favourite films of all time. Yeah. But you see what I mean? There he is at the start <laughs> of his career, much. making the films... I prefer it to Life of Brian. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail's the best mm. Python film. Yeah. My, my wife doesn't agree. Oh, really? She mm. prefers Life of Brian? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, but you see, life of Brian, it's cocking a snook religion. Cocking a snook. <laughs> Did I say that right? Cocking yeah. a snoot. Cocking a snoot. Oh, I've been cocking a cocking a snood. That'd be an old boy image, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think Holy Grail holds together better as a film. Mm. Yeah. Life of Brian is like so ostentatiously taking the rise out of religion mm. that it becomes less than itself because of what it's intending to do. I was very upset to see that um, Farmageddon's mashup of the um, killer rabbit from Life of uh, Holy Grail and um, the Raston Warrior robot from Five Dots has been been taken down from uh, YouTube as far as I can see. Yeah, gutted. It's amazing. My favourite bit in Life of Brides, the bit where he goes up in the spaceship. That's great, isn't it? It is, you lucky bastard. Anyway. But actually, the bit where he's up in the spaceship and there's the aliens in front of him, well, it, for some reason, reminds me of that bit of the fifth element when they are in the spaceship mm-hmm. and they're about mm-hmm. to crash. Same thing. It's weird, isn't it? But there's there's a lot of um, Terry Gilliam and Luke Besson, I think, every now and again. I think there is as well, yeah, actually. Kind I, of quirkiness. Has, yeah, but you know the other interesting thing is that Time Bandits feels more like a Douglas Adams film if he was making films at that mm-hmm. point. Whereas, strangely, I think Douglas Adams took all his humour from the Pythons and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, they're well. all Cambridge aren't they yeah so you, you've got this kind of little mishmash he was in the TV show wasn't he yes so if Hitchhikers had made it to the movies at that point I think that's the kind of feeling you might have got from mm. that, that I've said before what the problem with Hitchhikers is I don't know which is that it's too much extraneous stuff to translate to the shorter form mm. Which is why six episodes of a TV series or six episodes of a radio series works because you can put in all the background colour. Yeah. Mm. And this is why Time Bandits works because it doesn't try to do too much. No. And I think why Terry Gilliam's other films, later films, don't necessarily work as well. Although I think, you know, Fisher King I think is a lovely film and Twelve Monkeys I think is a great film. Yeah. Mm. But I don't think they work as well as this because this is just a pure film. Whereas, like I said, those others have all got this kind of Terry Gilliam angle whereby it's almost like he's trying to impose his personality on the material mm. and while that's not necessarily a bad thing in the case of a film director's career because in a film director's career you would hope that there's some imposition of the director on the material mm. you've also got to pick your material really carefully and carefully choose which stories you tell and Time Bandits is the last time where it's the Terry Gilliam stuff adds to the film rather than being the meat of the film. Mm. Time Bandits. You know, I mentioned Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. The young kid in it is wearing almost the identical Arthur Dent mm-hmm. um, dressing gown. Kevin, and yeah. actually yeah, looks yeah. like him. So I wonder if that was a conscious thing. Kevin, if, yeah. if the wife is Kevin. listening, although she's wrong on um, Life of Brian, um, I might have to concede that she could be possibly be right on our argument on uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I've always attested that the radio version is the best version and she's always said that the book version is the best and I've just started reading the book for the first time and I've got to agree with her I think <laughs> but again it goes back to what Joel said about it. everything's there mm. all of the yeah all of the meat is there and yeah. Mm. yeah it's perfect right my second choice is something completely almost outside of the boundaries of what we were talking about, but I think it counts, and so I've had it. And it's The Truman Show, Mm. which, from the writer of Gattaca, which Mm. will please Lee, he's looking at me with a really serious expression on his face, what am I doing right now, Lee? 
He's lifting his tea to his lips. He's drinking his tea. He's enjoying his tea. Gattaca was, of course, my choice. One of my choices. Yeah, it was. That's why I brought it up. My cutaway. But also, yes, of course it was. Yeah. That's why I brought it up. Mm. Yeah. Truman Show is just... Ron Howard. It's not Ron. I've never seen a Ron Howard film. It is Ron Howard. The Truman Show. Sure it is. It's Peter Weir. Is it? Yes. You're thinking of Ed TV. Ah. Oh, dear. That's a dreadful movie. (laughs) (laughs) I've quite liked Ed TV. (laughs) As you told. Yeah. yeah, it is me told <laughs> off. Yeah. But they both came out pretty much the same time, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, they did. So it was confusing. No mm. wonder I was confused. I've, I've, I've lived for years thinking that that was a Ron Howard movie. Wow. Mm. You bought a ticket for the Truman Show. We actually went into the screening for Red TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> the Truman Show mm. is its a case of taking an idea and... And you know what I always say about everything must be subservient to the idea... But also, what I've also been saying about you have to create a universe and make that universe feel real. Mm. The Truman Show, and the reason why I've chosen it, is it creates a universe and makes that universe feel real. And there's no way on earth that the events of the Truman Show could actually happen. It is completely a fantasy. But by the same token, it is so close to the television that we've been watching for the last few Mm. years that it feels real. And then you stick Jim Carrey in, and this was Jim Carrey's first performance where he was taken seriously by, you know, critics and audiences, mm-hmm. where he wasn't just hamming it up for the cameras and yeah. entertaining the kind of crowds who went off to see Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Truman Show was his first proper, proper film. Mm-hmm. And, my God, what a performance he gave in that film. He did. It's incredible. That that film when it came out, um, and somebody said, "Oh yeah, it's a great <coughs> twist in it. You never get a twist." And uh, they call it the Truman Show. And you had the picture on the front, and I thought, "I know what it's going to be about," because this is something as a kid. I don't know whether everybody else goes through this, but um, you know, when you're young, you think, "Oh, am I the only one in the world?" Uh, oh, is, when it, you... is everybody else a robot? <laughs> the Matrix was another thing. Matrix and Truman Show. The two sixth form existentialism. Yes. They call it. Yes, exactly. So yeah. you go through all these things yourself. And you think, ah. Oh, Where people I'm... say to you, you know, how do you know I'm actually here and yeah. you're not just imagining me? Which <laughs> yeah. is going on now? It's freaking me out. And um, the Truman Show yeah. is that idea up on the big screen, Tell basically, yeah. because everybody in that film, you know, everybody in Truman's life rather is faking it. Mm. So obviously they are all weird, but as a metaphor for the world, yeah, that is taking that idea to its logical extension. And at the same time, it's foreshadowing. I mean, it's taking place at the time when these things were beginning to happen, but it's foreshadowing the kind of TV that we're watching now in this multi-channel society. You almost could believe that something like The Truman Show could happen. I was laughing at the product placement moments that come in the film. Yeah. When the, yeah. Wife, when the wife and him, they're having an, an argument or he's starting to think that something's going on and they have this intense argument and she doesn't actually know what to do because he's sussing out that something's not quite right when, the, when the, one of the light lamps falls from the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's mm. questioning and she's going, <laughs> and she picks up a box of radon <laughs> yeah. or something and tries to advertise it. Yes, get your clothes white and all that. Yeah. And puts a tin of Campbell's <laughs> soup down in front of where one of the cameras is or something. A, yeah. Why is it every time we talk you put a can of soup in But this is what I mean. The guy who's written this, which is Andrew Nichol, Mm. And the guy who's directed this is Peter Weir, Simon. Okay. <clears throat> they have both sat down and absolutely thought through every last eventuality and they've put them all up on film. They've really created that universe. It's almost a perfect film mm. exercise, isn't it? 
from start to finish. That I can't see anything in that film that has failed. It, it's like Back to the Future to me. It's it's a, a, you can watch. Well, that no, I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, it's the prisoner. It is. Isn't mm. It? Mm. Yeah. It's the nearest thing you'll ever get to the prisoner as a movie. Well, unless they actually make a prisoner movie, but you know what I mean? Outside of the prisoner itself, it is the prisoner in movie form. It's a guy who doesn't know what's going on around him, who's living in a place that's isolated from the world, where everybody there is faking it, and it's all because of him. Mm. And at the end, he tries to escape. And let's not say how it ends then, because of anybody who may not mm. have seen it. But mm. it is just one of the. It's one of those movies that it's comes along. Mm. But it's one of those movies that comes along once in a generation, and it's a once seen, never forgotten experience. Mm. Brilliant film. Echoed to a certain extent, strangely, by Bolt. <clears throat> you ever seen Bolt? Is this the dog film? Disney dog yeah, film. Yeah. yeah. Animated or yeah, CGI. live action. CGI. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a dog. That thinks it's got superpowers because it's part of a TV program and it's not every. Yeah. And the, they make sure the dog believes that it's all real. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm gonna have to see it. Now. I mean, it's not the best. It's, <laughs> it's not the right. best Disney film, but it's okay. Yeah. yeah. And the idea is great. Yeah. Really great. <clears throat> well, then finally, my final choice. I didn't toss you, Simon, in the end. Never mind. Mm. We'll save that till later. It's not the first time you've ever done. <laughs> my final choice. Well. This was nailed on that I was going to choose. Mrs. Cockrum's going to be very pleased. About this is what? one of her favourite films of all time. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That'd be the one. It's been sat on my shelf for years, not getting watched, and I wanted to see it in the cinema. And it's one of those films I just always wanted to see and never got around to seeing it. It is, and again, it's an immersive universe they create where it's like being John Malkovich, right? Mm-hmm. It's a Charlie Kaufman thing, directed by the French director, uh, Michel Gondry. That's the one. And it's set in the modern day, but it's with technology that's... What's the word for the old technology that's new technology that people always say, like uh, what Doctor Who uses in... What? Oh, uh, there's an expression for it. I can't remember the expression. It doesn't matter. It's got... Steampunk. No, no, no. Like better. steampunk, but not steampunk. No, there's a there's a guy's name that's used yeah. to refer to it. it Jeff. No. <laughs> Jeff Technology. Yeah. Yeah, it's got Jeff Technology. <laughs> it's got technology that is like something out of the 1950s, but that is obviously sci-fi oh. technology. Simon's got it, but he can't think of the name. No. Like me, there's a name for it, isn't there? It, but it. But the point is, it's not about the technology, and it's not even about what the technology does. It's about the journey mm. that their premise takes you on. And Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one of the saddest, most beautiful, most bittersweet movies ever made. And the thing is, it, it's sad and beautiful and bittersweet, and it's got the most ridiculously stupid premise. Mm. And again, it's got Jim Carrey in the lead role, mm. playing it straight and being absolutely amazing. With Kate Winslet. Yeah. I bet there. you didn't even <laughs> think about the fact that Jim Carrey in both films on your list. You probably just put them there going, yeah, they're both really good films. I'll talk about them. Um, and there he is, Jim again. You know, I so, nearly chose Batman Forever instead of Time Bandits. So that I could get a Jim Carrey hat trick. That feels real easy. You had that on you. As you did, Yeah, that comes under romantic comedy there. 
you know what we should do in two or three weeks' time, now that the series has been put back for three weeks? Mm. We should do one last sidebar podcast before mm. we get into the reviews, and we should do non-genre events. We should Ooh, do... Non-genre? Uh, yeah. Well, non-sci-fi fantasy horror. Okay. Outside... Basically, basically a film. Outside yeah, a film. the Starburst <laughs> sandbox. <laughs> Except, you know what? I'm not entirely sure... The three of you have seen enough of those kind of films to do it, so I'm going to be doing it on my own. Yeah, cheeky turn around. <laughs> yes, you can have this as Spinal Tap, but you can't all choose Aww. it. Aww. <clears throat> Strange enough, we've all had girlfriends. <laughs> you go to yeah, we've all been forced to watch stuff. Yeah, I've had two, all right? No, oh right, back to Eternal Sunshine. What? Mm. I know it's one. Hang on. Well, it's... The thing is... It's like being John Malkovich and adaptation in that you take one idea, unlike some of these other films where you take like a, a big idea and make the universe out of the big idea or take a bunch of smaller ideas that all add up to a bigger idea. Eternal Sunshine, like being John Malkovich, like adaptation. And like actually the other film that Charlie Kaufman wrote that was the George Clooney one about the... Oh, what was it called? The American? No, no, no. American. right back, immediately after being John Malkovich, George Clooney executive produced it and got it together. It was about the TV presenter, American TV oh, presenter yeah, from yeah, the yeah, 50s, yeah, yeah. who claimed in his autobiography... Good night, good luck? Yes. Yeah. No. No? No, 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 that was later. Uh, the American TV producer, who then, in 20 years later, published his autobiography, in which he claimed to be... Uh, government assassin, black ops assassin. And everybody read this autobiography and said, was he serious? Did he actually do this stuff? And nobody could prove that he hadn't. So it's kind of become this urban legend about this guy. Whether, he... But like that, where it tells a story where it's got this one skewed idea. And being John Malkovich, has got this skewed idea that all these regular people are having regular lives, regular-ish in this sort of slightly skewed Charlie Kaufman universe. And the idea is that there's this porthole into John Malkovich's head. Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, the idea is, and we were talking about this when we did the podcast, Mark, about mm -hmm. your sci-fi choices. Yeah. The idea in Eternal Sunshine, for anybody who's not heard it, is that if you split up with somebody, you can have the memories of them erased from your head. And they have this machinery which does the erasing. But the conceit of the movie is when Car Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet split up he decides to go through this procedure to have Kate Winslet removed from his mind but then you go into his mind because he's changed his mind and so you get Jim Carrey running around in his own memories trying to stop these two guys with this machinery from erasing his memories. See having not uh, knowing the description of the movie I've always imagined it's quite a Dennis Potter kind of mm. <coughs> I think it has, actually. It's got elements it's of that in it. Probably, yeah, slightly It's kind of that cold Lazarus thing. Mm, yeah, but it's more of a love story. Mm. It's much more of a love story. And it's quite beautiful. The music's good in it as well. Yeah, good it's music. gorgeous music. And the visuals. It's yeah. really... It's one of these sort of... A kind of new uh, sort of fantastic reality type things where it's all handheld cameras and quite grainy mm -hmm. sort of film stock so that it looks gritty and like a documentary mm. but then they have lots of fantastic effects in it practical effects as well as 
you know, computer-generated effects. There's a scene set in, like, a, a library where, as they're running through the library, the bookshelves are getting taken down by this machine that's pulling the memories out. Mm. So the bookshelves are literally disappearing behind them as they're running through the library. And there's another scene set in his childhood where you've got the grown-up Jim Carrey dressed in baby clothes and they do it from a forced perspective shot. So he's sitting under the table as his mother is doing the washing up at the sink, standing right next to him. But because they forced perspective it, you've got life-size Jim Carrey walking around in shot the size of a baby. Mm -hmm. It's just got lots of fantastic Mm -hmm. visual ideas Mm -hmm. and lots of fantastic intellectual ideas all married in a perfect kind of symmetry of... With an absolutely brilliant uh, title as well, which nobody could remember when it first came out. Oh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. yeah, but then once you've seen the film, you yeah. like... But, I mean, is it is it what's termed as a fantasy then? <clears throat> because people would say it's a bit, it has a science fiction element because of the memory wiping thing. It's quite Philip K. Dick and all those classic 50s Yeah, but ideas. a lot of Philip K. Dick is actually drug culture rather than straight science fiction. Mm. And it, it has that feel to it. And if you look at what Michel Gondry's gone on to do afterwards, because he's, he's having hit upon this theme of um, success with this Charlie Kaufman stuff, because he also did Human Nature, which he was... He started out directing music videos, didn't he? Yeah. And then he did Human Nature, which was an earlier Charlie Kaufman script, <clears throat> which went into production after being Malkovich was oh. a success. <clears throat> you ever seen Human Nature? No. <laughs> it's is it in Thurman? No, it's not Excuse in Thurman. It's um Patricia Arquette. Mm. She plays a woman who who grows hair like a monkey. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I and she I want to see this film. Is it any good? It's fantastic. <laughs> I could she... watch any Patricia Arquette, even with her hair like a monkey, if I'm honest. <laughs> and so she wants to have a, some kind of procedure to try and get rid of this monkey hair that she's got growing all over her body. <laughs> and she goes to... It's as good as it sounds. And she goes to see... Um, she goes to see Tim Robbins, who's playing this really eccentric doctor, who's oh, kind of... I mean, he's this massive intellect, but he's also got the personality of like a six-year-old sort of thing. So, and it's just absolutely insane. He's doing all these experiments. He's got this experiment with these two white mice. What does it happen? At some point, he's trying to, he's trying to get these, he's trying to teach mice to speak. So he's doing all these procedures on this mice to try and get them to speak. And of course, it's not working. And then there's this one shot halfway through the movie where Tim Robbins and Patricia Arquette are talking about whatever it is they need to do. And they decide, oh, they... Can't come to a decision. She walks out the door. He follows her out the door. And then the two mice look at each other and say, is he gone? Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's that kind of a film. And Eternal Sunshine of the Spot, they all come out of the same brain. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah. Astonishing brain. Adaptation of that. Similar yeah. Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Sideways, skewed ideas. There were a few films at that point coming out like that, weren't there? Lots, and there Don't... still are. In fact, I've got a review film this week from David O. Russell, and he he started off with um, Spanking the Monkey, which was a sort of, <clears throat> yes, Spanking the Monkey, exactly what it says in the tin. Okay. And, that and was you a... said you weren't going to toss me for it. <clears throat> but he did Three Kings. 
Yeah. Yeah. And after Three Kings, almost immediately after Three Kings, you get stuff like being John Malkovich coming out and David O. Russell realises that that's really his metier. So all the films he's made since then have all been that kind of thing, including his new one, which is, which I'll probably do a review of next time or the time after, whatever. Again, it's fascinating how you get these batches because wasn't mm. Vanilla Sky around the same sort of... Yeah, that had a bit of a hard time. That was a remake. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I lost Ochos. I haven't seen yeah. the original. I'd like to see the original it. is so much better than the remake. Yeah. But I do like the theme. Like we've mentioned um, Philip K. Dick again, but it was that very similar kind of mm. idea to another story that I'd read. But I didn't mind well, it. I thought the soundtrack was particularly good in that film. Sorry, you didn't. The soundtrack was particularly good in that film. That's Cameron Crowe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I got it right. But, yeah, but no, Cameron Crowe. That really wasn't his... He was the wrong director for that. Mm. Nice soundtrack. Good actors, but he's not doing a good job with the actors. I think Cameron yeah. Diaz in that film is awful. Yeah, mm. And I usually really like Cameron Diaz. Mm. Mm. So I don't she know what happened she's there. Yeah, I thought it was right. awful. Yeah. Yeah. Films, she? But if you've ever seen Arbre de los Ojos, mm. Vanilla Sky really Kennedy suffers Cruz was in both, wasn't she? Yeah. 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 Second only to Danny Boyle in his choice of... Mm. Soundtracks, yeah. if you ask me. Yeah. Right. Oh, so speaking we... of that, very quickly. Yeah. Go on. One of the choices I had to sort of shove out was Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, what a film! Oh, uh, really that was really good. close to making it into my list. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Who's yeah. the director on Scott Pilgrim? Edgar Wright. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mm. thought it was. Mm. It's good. Yeah, yeah. So the trouble, the reason why Scott Pilgrim didn't get more sort of um for the box office mm. is because it came out after Kick-Ass and it looked like a mm. response to Kick-Ass, didn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Whereas actually, if it had come out on its own right, it would probably have got a lot more attention, wouldn't it? No, I, I really like it. I think it's great. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's one of those films with vision. Mm. And it works. Anyway, we've run out of time now, so I'll so, yeah. do the emails and then we'll... Off oh, we sorry, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh... <coughs> Simon, seeing as Lee's spoiled one, let's go with your number one choice. Yeah, for, well, for, you said to put them down chrono- chronologically, so yeah, it's the Dark Crystal. The Dark Crystal, can mm. I just say. We've spoken about this so many times. Should we just we move have, on to yeah. the next one? <laughs> <laughs> In the back of my mind, I was thinking, God, I must have mentioned this film so many times. Mm. But the point I always make about it is it's... No, you don't don't have to make the point you always make about it. This is your opportunity now to wax lyrical about it as much as you like. It's immersive and, again, it's a film with vision and the big thing for me is there's not one human face or person in it. The news you get to that is you get the long shots and the girl fling is somebody in a costume. This is mm. all it works. It's like the Toy Story thing you're saying. Mm. You don't, you know, it's, it's, it's all CGI. It's all toys. Mm. It works properly because it's immersive. Whereas the other things, uh, 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 Labyrinth and stuff like mm. that, are, are all right, but they don't quite work for me. No. Whereas I think Dark Crystal is definitely the best of the bunch in those days of the puppets and things. And, uh, and as far as the world building, so it's predating mm. the Lord of the Rings films, yeah. and it's. Uh, the designs are just we ought gorgeous. to point out. We ought to point yeah, out for people who don't know what it is mm. that it's Jim Henson puppetry. Yeah. It is, mm. and he directed as well, didn't he? <clears throat> I think he did. Direct. I'm not sure actually. Frank Oz. No, uh, no, who was it? Yeah, no. I think I he think, must have done. I think mm. he did. I think he did. But you have these uh, some really creepy puppets in it. <clears throat> Brian Froud designed them. Mm. Um, he lives just around the corner in Dartmoor. 
Does he? Brown. Is it not fruit? Fruit, brown fruit, brown fruit. Yeah, the same guy designed Yoda. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Or even his wife, I think, wasn't it? And actually, you can tell thinking about it mm. because the puppets in Dark Crystal and Yoda not only move in the same way, but they've got a lot of the same sort of physical mm. attributes. Didn't George Lucas yeah. have something to do with the production of it? Or whether he chucked any money at it? I'm not sure. sure. I don't think so. No. But I mean, as, as far as the story's concerned, it's just... It, it's, it's a quest again. Mm. Absolutely. And it's about the bringing back together the good and the bad sides of a particular species and healing the crystal and bringing light back to the land. So Very similar to the fifth element in that mm. sense. Yes. yes. But it's a kid's film. It was, yeah. it was thrown out as a kid's film. But I found it terrifying. Yeah. Mm. The, it was really the creepy. Skeksis, mm. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. The horrible. And the carapace kind of beetle things that run around. Yeah. It was the frontiers we never got. <laughs> <laughs> and podlings being... Yeah, yeah. yeah there's only so... Oh, yeah, yeah. And horrible. there's only certain moments where you suddenly become aware of them being glove puppets and being muppets because all of a sudden, like you say, the podlings are moving like Fraggle Rock, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah, yeah. But other than that, it's just <laughs> If you look at it dispassionately, there are lots of moments where you think, well, the reason he's walking in a straight line is because they've got a bit cut out of the set. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Puppeteer can come <laughs> yeah. through. But, you know, it's important. So the soundtrack is incredible as well. Mm. The soundtrack is beautiful, but mm. the other amazing uh, design are those very tall things that they ride on, these yeah. kind of strange oh, yeah. insectoid. Yeah. I think that's the right word. Insectoid. Insectoid, I think. Insectoids. Mm. Insectazoid. Right, you've said it three times. You can get cream for that, Yeah, I'm just copyrighting because it's going to be a new toy. But uh, no, I thought they were beautiful again. And that was in the making of the Dark Crystal, which fascinated the hell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, I can't really say much more about it apart from the fact that I just, it, it's a one-off. And I think for a while, wasn't it Trey Parker and, um, was it Matt Stone, mm-hmm. South Park creators, were talking mm-hmm. about remaking it. I think they're still thinking about remaking. I think there's all kinds of things in the pipeline and production lines. And mm, mm. Brian's back on board with Sun. I think his Sun's involved. Or oh yeah, that's yeah. right. I, so I, they're, they're all pretty serious about. Was it a commercial back. hit or was it another one of these ones that really found its place on yeah, Home Video? Flopped Dark Crystal. Because mm. mm. it was too dark for kids. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. A bit like and Disney's it Black Cauldron. Disney kind of hits between, mm. gone between the posts. What Black Cauldron? So yeah. it would fall into your category of trying if you are going to do a remake remake something that didn't work rather than something but it didn't work. you can remake anything hit. but as long as you bring a different sensibility to mm-hmm. it yeah do you know what I, I wouldn't like this to be kind of remade you'd have to you could do a sequel to it you could do a remake of it as long as you didn't do it as a puppet film yeah mm-hmm. you could true. do it as a CG film yes mm-hmm. and you could tell the same story with new character designs that reflect the old enough so that fans of the original will not feel sure changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah like mm. homage rather than copying. There'd be no point in doing it if you were just copying mm. the original character yeah. design. But with CG, you could have those characters moving around the landscape in ways that you couldn't do with puppets. Mm. Yeah. But you'd have to be very careful how you cast it. It must be too, too slick. I think it's so believable because it's tangible. A bit like Lego. Well, yeah, but I mean, in these movie. days, things like the Lego movie exactly mm. the perfect example. You mm. can do it with CG as long as it is an immersive universe rather yeah. than CG married I with live that, action. Um, listen, that, there's that latest George Lucas film that flopped incredibly that's just coming out, isn't it? Um, is it just coming out on DVD? What's it called again? The, no, it's a musical, <laughs> but it's a fairy, mm. like fantasy type thing, all CGI. 
Oh. And it's apparently it's appalling. I can't I can't think what it's called. He's just a producer on it, I'm assuming. Executive well, producer, probably. I think it's been a dream. It's been he's been working on it for a low, very long time. It's a bit of a dream project of his, and it's a musical using con- contemporary music. Much in the same way as Moulin Rouge, you know that same way of right. weaving it in, but uh, it just doesn't doesn't work. But I want to see it just out of yeah. curiosity, like you do. Another Howard the Duck. But, um, I quite like, Howard, like the Howard the Duck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who directed Howard the Duck? Oh, um, no. it wasn't George Lucas. He did produce it, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. Ron Howard. The duck. Was it Ron Howard? <laughs> I don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> if in doubt, Ron. If in doubt. <laughs> Uh, Peter Will, yeah, Michelle Gondry. Mm, but you know, I love everything about Dark Crystal. The 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 creatures, the uh, Skeksis and the Mystics, oh. and then they go back together again to become the Urskex. And uh, I, it's oh, just spoiler. very very. No, no. Well, <laughs> that that's the plan, isn't it? Because they've been split. They were the Urskex, and they said they got two wise, and they broke the crystal, and then they split into two. They're evil and they're mm. good sides. So it's all. It's all very Star Wars, isn't it? But um, it's all very yin and yang. Yes. And then your next choice, then Simon. Your next choice is, in my opinion, the best superhero movie there is. The Incredibles. Superman three. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> Superman, if you're going to make that joke, Superman four. Go on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. You ever seen Superman four? Oh, you don't want to seriously I didn't realise there was one if you think Star Trek 5 is bad as far as Star Trek films concerned it has wow. nothing on Superman uh, 4 was that made is it Nuclear Man yeah oh my god I don't know it was kind of at the height of the um, Cold War wasn't it so I think they were trying to put a subtle little uh, point in there mm. I think this is late 80s then 87 yeah it's it? Christopher Reeves yeah uh, it was his last one wasn't it project wasn't it, it was, was it 85, yeah. 86 wasn't it about that Something I think like that. Yeah. yeah that big thing about he wanted to get rid of all the nuclear weapons he said if Superman was real that's what he'd do which is a fair point mm. yeah. yeah it was just like a TV movie anyway why are we talking about that when the Incredibles yeah, say. yeah. This, this is a Superman who wants to get rid of nuclear weapons but has makes no bones about knocking skyscrapers down no <laughs> <laughs> Go on then. Tell us about the. Tell tell me. Yeah. Not having seen it. Oh really? The plot of the Incredibles. Okay. I don't um, watch animated mm. movies, Simon. You know this. This it draws from a lot of the best aspects of superheroes. So you've got a bit of the X Men, the, the kind of the hatred towards mutants and all this sort of thing. So the whole thing starts off with there being a golden age of superheroes, as there was in comics. Um. Where you know the superheroes went went around and kept crime under and all that sort of thing, and then you've got this situation where, uh, basically, somebody, a guy who wants to kill himself, without giving too much away, gets saved by a superhero, and takes him to court, and then. What are you doing now? Sorry, gone. Bloody okay. disrespectful. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but we're all behind him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you've got this thing where they start regulating the superheroes, and basically the superheroes end up going back to their normal lives. So you've got all these people going around with superpowers, but they keep they're trying to live normal civilian lives because if they show any kind of, of you know you've got this uh, segregation between the normal people because it's uh, that is this. Um, yeah, paranoia. that kind of X Men thing. Yeah, it's yeah. the X Men thing. It's the X Men, and it's thing. an animated movie. Mm. It's animated. It's Pixar, so the, the animation quality is just way up. It's, it's a great gag in there as well. 
Wonderful, yeah. Um, but you know, the point I wanted to make is that you've got this family. You've got two, a male and female superhero who start a family. So they've got civilian lives. So they're trying to lead normal lives, and they have a family. So you you end up with a the new, literally a nuclear family. Funny mm-hmm. enough, or having superpowers but not being able to use them in public. Um, and then you have another character coming along who's starting to knock them out one by one, finding out who they are yeah. because they're all doing things like stop bank raids mm. secretly mm. Um, and then all so of a the sudden so the villain of the piece is the guy who's coming after the superheroes one by one right exactly right. Yeah. Right. yeah sounds and good of course oh, it's quite it's... amusing when they all have to get back into their clothes and try and be yeah and the main character Mr Incredible I'm holding up a little statuette there got the um, he's um, <laughs> he's trying to hold down an office job um, funny enough selling insurance I suppose there's an irony there, in there, isn't there? And um, trying to do good by people, and he's being told to kind of little old ladies who are crashing their cars and things like that. Think about he's, it, though. A superhero is a perfect person to work in an insurer's office because you keep getting the payments from these people, and he makes sure they don't have any accidents. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's having trouble holding it down because, you know, when he gets angry, he smacks the desk and smashes the desk. And, and oh, he's like the Skittles guy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I can't recommend the film enough. And case in point, what made me think of it is that every time I see any clips of the new Fantastic Four movie, I think, well, The Incredibles did it better. You know, if you're going to do a film and you want to call it The Fantastic Four, but you're going to change it so much that it's no longer The Fantastic Four, then just do a different film because they did it with The Incredibles. Why is it not The Fantastic Four? In what way? Well, the new one. Hmm. Because they've they seem to have removed. I mean, I'm not going to go right down that road without actually seeing the damn thing. But when you read between the lines, they've changed so much of it that it stopped. Seems to have taken out of it the the core element of it, which was essentially that they were a family. Yeah, the origin story has changed so much in this film mm. that I'm not sure it's going to hang together quite as well as the original mm. premise, which was brilliant. Yeah. So why change it, kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I'm all for you know the, the Marvel well, movies do trailer. change them, and it works. But they keep the core elements that kept it special. Now they seem to, the, the the only thing that resembles the original Fantastic Four is the powers. Yeah. I think, as far as I can tell, the thing looks rather good. Though. The thing looks great, and that's and that's the only thing which is yeah. kind of um, you know faithful to the original. What do you think of the last two Fantastic Four movies? I thought they were great fun. Yeah, I, I loved them. them. Yeah. yeah, I thought they were great. Mm. So you know, there a lot was of people also... didn't like those. Marks, Marks is half asleep. Um, they're okay. They're not <coughs> amazing. Yeah, but yeah. I just thought they. Yeah, were... they weren't terrible. Do you know what it was? It was like an, a little splash of colour in a sea of grit, wasn't it? Because everything was going dark and gritty. It was. And then Fantastic Four was a bit of fun. Yeah, mm. it was like, what would you more like to go and see, Fantastic Four or Batman Begins? <laughs> and you know, Fantastic Four any day of the week for me. Mm. Everyone's mm. getting really excited about the. Although Batman, Batman versus Superman begins looks... with a lemon-coloured jumpsuit, it's <laughs> gonna happen. It's a jumpsuit now. I'm gonna be very nobody's getting excited about Batman versus Superman. Well, a lot of people are. But I'm I not. can't believe how good Ben Affleck looks in the latest trailer. Oh, really? If I'm honest, yeah. Oh, hello. Okay, fair enough. And I'm, I cannot stand these dark and gritty DC movies. I I loathe the new. Uh, what's the new supervillain one? Oh, Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad. Suicide Squad. Just There's about, about 30 superhero terrible. films coming out in the next five years. Uh, I saw the trailer mm. to Suicide Squad and I thought I was going to, dis- I thought it was going to be terrible. I actually quite enjoyed it. 
because it was so it felt so far removed from uh, the film. It, You've seen it? No, 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 no. no. I was going to say it. It's funny that it's so far removed from the characters. Yeah. So, no, yeah, it is. It's so far removed from the characters that you think, well, okay, it's it's so utterly not what we're getting uh, from the past. Mm. Oh, let's just try it because they've literally mm. put it in, stuck a blender in, and, and, and you've got something completely different. I didn't mind it actually. And the, when the Joker turned up, oh, here we go. Is he going to try and be another version of the Joker? You can't. It's been done so many times. Yeah. You have to do it slightly differently. So I, I'm going to give this one a chance because I know it's dark and gritty. I know, and I. But yeah. actually, it's an interesting premise, and it's a good. It's a good. Um, comic book, so. I'm always being told off by Declan May for being precious about these things, you know. And he said at the end, of the, you know, he always says at the end of the day, if they don't get this version right, or they do, yeah. some, somebody will come along who'll get the license and do a different version. But it surprised um, me. It looked looked better than I thought. But for me, I won't be popular with this. Batman versus Superman looks better than that, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah this is confusing me. You've got tangible. Batman versus Superman coming out, right? Mm. Yeah. And then you've got Suicide Squad, which has also got Batman and Superman in it. Yeah, but who, yeah, who's playing Batman in Suicide Squad? No idea. Because you do That's see him briefly in the trailer, so I don't know whether it's crossing over or what. Know, but it's not about them, is it, really? Mm. No. And isn't Superman a different actor in Suicide Squad and in the Superman movies and in Batman versus Superman or no, something? I don't know. But Harley Quinn gets a lot of screen time in the trailer, so that's fine by me. <laughs> And Spider-Man's going to be a different actor as well, isn't he? And yeah. Yeah, great bit of casting. Who is it? Um, it's the lad who played... He was in um, that film about the tsunami with Ewan McGregor. Uh, the Impossible. Mm. Who He's utterly brilliant in that. He's very young when he did that. Utterly brilliant. But I think he's starred as Billy Elliot. So he's got the physicality as well. So he can act... Act his socks off, and he's got the physicality for Spider Man. So oh, it's Billy Elliot, the actor, isn't it? Tom, not Tom Bell, is it something? No. Bell? Jamie Bell. No, Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell. It's not Jamie Bell, no. is it? No. I was going to no. say. <laughs> you mean he's starting. You know who I mean by Billy Elliot? Do you know the, the theatre? Oh, the theatre. So yeah. The yeah. stage. Yeah. Sorry, the stage. Sorry. Yes. I, I didn't realise that. You've got to make specifications about things yeah. like that, Simon. I've seen that on stage. It's great. Lord of Swearing. <clears throat> really? Yeah. Tons. But um, yeah, I'm, and I'm really looking forward to that man. All the signs are good. I think Paul Mount has uh, seen it. And oh, the trailer! Loved it, I thought the trailer was great, where he goes down the plug hole or whatever it is. There's a shot in the trailer where he's just shrinking and going down a hole or something. Mm, mm, I yeah. thought that looked great. It looks like a bunch of fun. Who's playing Ant Man? Is it, um, it's not Paul Rudd, is it, or is it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, Paul yeah. Rudd. He's a great actor. He gets. He's a great actor, but he gets given such crap to be in. Mm, mm. He's. he's couple of times he's been in things where he's absolutely been brilliant and you think why can't they find him roles to play that you know live up to the things that he's good at and then they'll, they'll just stick him in crap he's been in so many rubbish romantic comedies I mean I really hope that man's great because obviously we had the big disappointment where Edgar Wright was the man all the way through wasn't mm -hmm. he and we just thought oh we can't wait to see this and then he dropped out from it and we thought oh no I'm but sure would Edgar that. Wright have been the right person no pun intended for a Marvel superhero well, that movie might be the because thing. wasn't that the reason why he was I think it injected. was because they're trying to keep this consistent tone, tone. it would be universe. like yeah. it would be like and this is going to sound stupid, but it would be like getting Quentin Tarantino to do a Bond movie. It wouldn't work. The styles, no. the styles might. I think it would work, have, but it wouldn't be consistent with the rest of. The, they're trying that's to what I'm create saying. this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the styles. There are some kind of ostensible similarities, but actually, mm. 
The styles are so far apart that <clears throat> it'd be like getting Jean-Pierre Jeunot to do an alien movie. Mm. Oh, what idiot would come up with that idea? <laughs> yeah, crazy. Oh, uh, one last thing about The Incredibles, uh, director Brad Bird. Oh, and Brad I Bird. nearly picked yeah. The Iron Giant, which is another one of my favourite oh, films. Oh, that's a lovely, that's a great film. Yeah, too. and what's Brad Bird doing now? Isn't he? I'm trying to think, he's doing live action now, isn't he? Yeah. Sure that? Mm-hmm. He has done live action before. Did he do well, the Mission Impossible's. I don't know, but Ghost Protocol wasn't very good. Uh, was it not? I fell asleep halfway through. See, that's Brad Bird live action, isn't it? <coughs> Is it? I think it could be. Yeah. Ghost mm. Protocol, yeah. Mission Impossible. Yeah. Did you enjoy that? Have you seen it? I haven't seen it yet, it's sitting on my shelf. I keep getting all these bloody Deja review <laughs> films. I never get a chance to watch anything you've decent. Been, you've got all these massive, great big Hollywood films to watch, which are like, you know, adrenaline, watching, heart pumping, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And you're watching some. Changing sleek, of Ben Moore and things like that. Sleazy old horror movies. <laughs> you must watch The Incredibles. It's got that lovely 1950s superhero feel to it. Mm. So it's lots yes. of bright colours yes. mixed with all the, the, up, the, the tech and, and that sort of thing. As you say, Mark, the jokes are great. Kate works on the multiple levels I, I also think that the uh, speed of the humour is good in this because it's fast yeah. but it's not too fast no. you've got just about the right quality of, of metre about the of, of pace or whatever whereas something like Meet the Robinsons or a couple of the ones from, uh, before that were so fast and so scripted and tight they just and they weren't funny they just yeah weren't just funny. sounded smart just a, they were just be, uh, being smart ten minutes all the time. Just turn over it's like shut mm, up yeah yeah and you've got all the in-jokes, I mean, you've got people like, you know, reasons why people shouldn't use capes when the superheroes could get sucked into plane engines and things like that, you know. So it's all the in... It's it's, it's very self-aware as well about superheroes. Mm. Yeah. Right, your final choice, Simon, is again something that we've spoken on this podcast very often, so you'll name it, I'll do the emails and we'll go. Okay, fantastic, Mr. Fox. Brilliant. Right, Shara. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then, fantastic. Your opportunity to wax lyrical. Obviously there are a dull book. Um, some people might not like it because it's mainly American actors. Um, I'm trying to remember who the director well, is. give it's, us um, the... It's Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson, of course it is. Um, yeah, it's the raw dull uh, book, um, but brought into kind of... What's the premise then? In a nutshell, In it's a about nut- a fox. It's about a fox. Is it a romantic comedy? Does he have a lady fox? He's he has a lady fox. He has a family. Is he a lady? It's he about a, family. Is he fantastic? He is fantastic. Yes, and he believes he's fantastic, and he believes so, that he can yeah. he can do something better for his family, and he can be better. So, in other words, he's not really fantastic, but the, then at the end of the film, it turns out that he is. Is it one of those? It is one of those. Yes. Well, there you and go. it's all. But it, it's. We were That's what I was asking. You don't need to bother Simon. to watch yeah. it. There you go. We were talking yeah, to Andy Lane at the weekend at the event, weren't we? And we were talking about the fact that these films, you know, on the surface, yeah, it's about foxes and badgers and and farmers and all that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, it's about his relationship with his son. Mm. Mm. Well, and that's what all of these films are. Mm. You know, the best fantasy, science fiction, horror, the whole thing, genre movies, when they're at their best, reflect something about the world. Sometimes they reflect things about the, you know, the period that you're living in where they reflect something about politics or the environment and sometimes they just reflect something about human beings and the human condition and that's what they're really about mm. and something like the dark crystal on the on the face of it is this weird fantasy about the yin and the yang and all that kind of stuff but what it really is about 
when you get down to it, it's not about heroism, but it's about becoming attuned to yourself as a person and becoming more fulfilled as a person mm. because you understand yourself. It's about self-comprehension, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so that's what all these films do. And not underestimating the small guy as well. Do you well, think that's what if... the Time Bandits is about. <laughs> <laughs> do you think if um, the film was CGI'd, it would lose some of its charm? Then? Absolutely. Is that all part of it? The kind of the real animation. Yeah, it's stop motion. It's, it's beautifully motion, animated. Um, the soundtrack is amazing as well. The cast are amazing. George Clooney. You just think, well, George Clooney is fantastic, Mr. Fox. Oh, I don't know. And George just Clooney's done some great films, actually. And it's got the same kind of feel about it as, uh, say, I don't know, some of the more quirky films like Our Brother Where Art Thou and mm. um, and possibly even From Dust Till Dawn, you know, the, the relationship between the different characters. And the comic timing on it is so subtle. The, the kids watch it. My kids absolutely adore it. And just watch it because there's a load of animals running around and, and it's quite funny and they run around like Benny Hill sometimes and they're digging through the earth and doing all these mad things and there's a farmer trying to get them. But all the whole time there's, there's almost a very adult feel to the to the, to the the comedy in it mm. and the humour. Soundtrack is brilliant and it's quirky and I love quirky. I mean you get Jarvis Cocker suddenly turn up halfway through as one of the characters and suddenly starts singing a song with a banjo and it's just it's just <laughs> really great. And the more I watch it, the more I love it. And it's just about, it's just about Pete David Donnie Darko is my favourite film. Wow! Mm. Wow! Oh, me. Because every time I watch it, I love it more, and I see something they didn't see before. Mm. See, the thing with Donnie Darko is it could have made all three of these lists, couldn't it? Because mm. there's a horror element to it, yeah. there's a science fiction and a fantastic element to it. Mm. Mm. So I'm surprised you just put them all. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, and there's a moment most of the way through the film. There's this wonderful moment where all of a sudden there's peace and quiet. All this, the music goes, and um, there's a there's a bit where they're going along on a motorbike sidecar between their jobs, and they look across and there's a wolf in the distance, and there's this moment where there's a recognition between the fox and the wolf. And they kind of put, there's a fist goes in the air, and all of a sudden you get this lump in your throat. You think, what is going on? Why am I feeling this? It's amazing. Yeah. It really is very special, that film. So thank you for letting me talk about it. <laughs> right. right, a couple of emails. Chris Forjak says, Dear Blue Box Podcast, I recently listened to your episode on the ongoing Omni Rumour, and it was well done, but like the best cliffhangers, it ultimately left certain key factors unresolved. The point was raised that Phil's costs incurred through years of searching and not drawing a regular income understandably would justify a need for him to recoup his losses and turn a profit. Also, you pointed out how difficult it would be for an organisation like the BBC or BBC Worldwide to justify an enormous hypothetical expenditure made up of some modestly commercial material and presumably a great deal of non-commercial material. Granted, we don't know if this scenario is in fact holding things up, but if it is, does anyone have a clue how we could ever get out of it? It would seem to be a stalemate with no clear end in sight. Maybe a famously well-off and archive-obsessed fan could make a financial contribution. Oops, maybe that's not likely. Forget (laughs) that idea. If this is what's going on, and again I concede that this may not be the situation at all, Hopefully the parties involved in a potential negotiation would come to realise that unlike fine wine, the value of missing episodes does not increase with age. Sorry to be morbid, 
but the potential audience for old black and white episodes of Doctor Who decreases each year, as does the likelihood that physical media will even be a viable option for a hypothetical release. The actors, who could potentially contribute to the value-added material and celebrate the return of their work for such releases, are also sadly leaving us year by year. Maybe, just maybe, time and reflection might inspire a new approach for the potential parties involved, because I fear that in such a scenario we would otherwise be left hanging for a long, long time. Mm. Now, how's that for some bleakness served with a little innuendo? Still hopeful, but far from optimistic, Chris Vorjak. Mm. And if that hasn't brought us all down, then Sharak Jizz's email certainly will. <laughs> Christ on a bank. <laughs> are, are you going to say any more about that? Or are you just going to let that? Speak for well, yourself. there's another episode to come, isn't there? So I'm sure. Uh, mm. we'll yeah, that was written after our first missing episode oh, okay. of the podcast, mm. but okay. before our second one. Mm-hmm. And we actually, although we didn't go over his point specifically, we went over a lot of his stuff that he's kind of talking about there in the one that we recorded since then, but that hasn't gone out as we're recording this. Sharak Jiz says, Dear Blue Boxers, I have just listened to your last podcast. It was quite good. Lee and Simon were talking funny again. Lee was pretending to be Tim Nice But Dim, and Simon was pretending to be Stephen Shoforovsky from Fame, and you all talked about the missing epidurals. It was very interesting, especially when Stephen called JR and Tim cats. I don't think either of them are cats, so I didn't understand that. Anyway, the man looking for the missing epidurals is Johnny Morris, and some people have got quite cross that he hasn't sent them all back. JR said that he was in the pubic eye and wanted the wind to be blowing in the right direction. I find that my wind usually blows in the wrong direction, which is why I am not allowed in KFC anymore. (laughs) Anyway, JR didn't want to put his finger on it, which was a big relief as I didn't want him to put his finger on it either, especially as it is quite sore at the moment. One of the things that Johnny Morris is looking for is Stephen's feet. But maybe he should ask JR, as he was talking to him during the podcast. Apparently it has something to do with Christmas, so there is plenty of time yet. JR said that he would like to see Sky at Night. I watch Sky at Night most nights, usually Babe Station, which is a very nice programme and my hand gets tired and my phone bill is quite high. JR said that he was trying to get something to rub off, so he could say, there's that and I'm this. I have tried rubbing off and saying that, but I got into trouble and was told I couldn't go back to Tesco's anymore. JR said, bugger. (laughs) At the end, you were all talking about twits and twatter, and I didn't understand it much. I am on bookface now, but I don't know about twatter, except that it involves not very many letters. As JR is a posty man, I expect he knows all about this. Your friend, Sherag Jizz. <laughs> if you're not Sharakjiz and you would like to get in touch with the Blue Box podcast, what's the uh, email address, JR? Blue Box. Cobalt comes back and he goes professional again. Have you noticed that? Yeah, get rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get me coat. Find us on Facebook. We have a group called Blue Box Podcast, shockingly enough. Mm. Email blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. Well, find me, I suppose, on Twitter at yeah. JR underscore Southall. And these three guys are on Twitter, but who cares? Yeah, exactly. Montag well, te- Technically, you're on Twitter, aren't you, Lee? Am I? Well, yeah, you've got a profile. Yeah, you used you? it once, haven't you? At Montag Fire. Yes, yeah. that's true. Are you on Twitter at iPalindrome? I, I should do, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> no, I'm boring. It's just that Mark Cochran. 
Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you're boring. You are. You're, <laughs> you're at four inches, did you say? <laughs> is that what he said? At what? Four, at four inches, Mark Cochran. At Mark Cochran. Oh. At boringly Mark Cochran, oh, he said. Oh, I'm, I'm at Simon on, Brett and everyone thinks I'm the author. Which is why you got well, so you are, followers. an author. <laughs> just, just not that one. You've got so many followers. Yeah. They're all waiting for the next crime book. <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next edition of How to Be a Little Sod. Whereas the three of us are just waiting for your next crime. Yeah. Mm. And on that note, uh, until next time, when I don't know what's happening, but I'm hoping for something a little bit special. Ooh. I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon about Doctor Who. Ha, ha, ha.